Welcome to episode one of a retrospective evaluation of every number one single on the Australian charts between 1983 AD and present, a podcast. That's a working title. Sure. Sounds uh, good to me. <laughs> might cut AD off 1983 AD just you to make, make it, it longer, more I make it more succinct. It needs a colon and a subtitle. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, as the, the long-winded name suggests, this is a podcast about uh, number one songs in Australia, and we're starting in 1983 because that is the year that um, the Australian Recording Industry Association or ARIA started um, printing up those charts and placing them in um, the the sanity no pre sanity <laughs> Brashes. Brashes. I mean, you could go into you could go into Brashes Record Bar in Launceston as you or I did or you know other parts of Australia printed out charts pick up that printed out chart that you know started back in 83 still going to today so we thought let's have a look at all these songs there's a lot of hits um, some have aged well some of yeah, not so much. <laughs> not, not so much. I think the second category probably. Probably, yeah, probably the, the second second category. category, yeah. Um, and my, my research showed that uh, since, I think, 2018, ARIA, instead of A-R-I-A, it's A-R, the number one, then A. So oh, they've, really? they've changed that to be be more... So well, it's well, like young people like numbers in things. Oh, I think. Okay, sure. So, They're only twenty years behind the time, <laughs> but that matches up with most of the music on the chart. So. <laughs> exactly right. I should just say, in deference to just to, in case anyone's listening to this that's not from Australia, that we did have charts before that. Mm. They were just less official than that. They were called like the Kent Music Awards or something. Somebody was counting, you know, like... Absolutely. Who, yeah. But yeah, the ARIA charts is what everybody thinks. The, the Australian Music Industry Awards is named after the ARIAs and so forth. Like, yep. yeah, that's our Grammys, you know, or whatever people think of. Exactly. They, they are. They're called the ARIAs, aren't they? They are. The yeah. awards. They yeah. are. You right. could, it was on last night. So I'll, I'll, no I'll, cut, I'll cut this oh, out because okay, this, uh, <laughs> this is not time dated. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And also, so, for what it's worth, the, the aria looks like something that would kill you if you fell over and landed on it. It yeah. looks like a some sort of landmine type murder weapon device. Absolutely, <laughs> it, it, it looks like a pyramid, uh, a very I'll, tall, thin pyramid. Absolutely, yeah. anyway, so sorry. for sure. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's why we're starting in '83. Um, and look, if there's demand, we can go all the way back to. <laughs> apparently, David Kent started. Uh, well, he didn't start, but he went back and looked at retrospective oh, stuff okay. and has compiled charts since 1940. Oh, so, okay, so we went right back. So we could have started in 1940, but every song back then just sucks shit, I think. <laughs> it's a fair assessment. There's nothing good from back then. It's I don't all know. I mean, they were pretty keen to answer the question of who put that doggy in the window. You know, <laughs> it's a question that still baffles experts, I think. Absolutely. I still don't know the answer. Probably but going to go pet shop, I would have thought, but fucking, you know, apparently uh, it was worth the whole song. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, you know, Road to Gundagai, it's another, <laughs> another classic hit, sure. but still hum. Still hum Should I ask, time. is it an incredibly boring question to ask mm. how they actually used to compile the Aries, like, or is that too in the weeds? 
in the weeds? Um, I don't know. Like, I think uh, so back in 83 or prior to that. So, well, in the period that we're, we're looking at, like the 80s and stuff, they would have would have been record shop, yeah, numbers, absolutely, yeah, or like radio play. Yeah, so it's sales, yeah, oh, okay, so, sales so they would have singles. picked record shops and asked them how many singles they'd sold, yeah, stuff like that. So, okay. I think, um, over the years, people have suggested that this was probably uh, susceptible to manipulation, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> with the radio play systems, though, too, yeah. they were susceptible to abuse, too, so yeah, exactly. So, whether the want... whether the volumes that they they said actually sold is one thing, <laughs> but yeah, certainly in the 80s, though, yeah. Yeah, like for, for the songs we're about to discuss now, for 83, people had to physically go out and buy a copy of this and then they'd calculate how many sold in that week, sure. which is obviously different today where, you know, someone just jumps on a, a playlist um, yeah. on Spotify and, and they jump in a pool for six hours and get out. <laughs> and the next thing you know, they've listened to Tones and I, <laughs> that song, Dance Monkey, 44 times without realizing it. And then that's on the top of the charts for eight years. So it's just sort of like there's something, there's something that a little bit more. Oh, exactly. You know, there's yeah. something you, you connected to the music. You you parted with money to go and purchase it. As this is true. Sort of, yeah. Yes. So anyway, um, I don't know. Tom, if you want to, should we jump in? Jump sure. Right no, in. Let's do it. So we're at 1983 January. Yep. 83 January. So um, it's a new year. It's a new beginning for a lot of people. Sure. Um, and first song, Culture Club, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Sure. You a fan of this one? <laughs> uh, it's not my favourite Culture Club song. <laughs> no, it's not my favourite. Um, Culture Club, um, are they light reggae? Is that is that a genre? Is that a thing? Do they have elements of, of white boy reggae in there? I definitely think they do. Certainly in how they looked, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely around at the time, wasn't it? Like yeah. the whole, yeah. For sure, yeah. I think um, this, for me personally, yeah, this is this is not my favourite. Um, but boy George, he's still going strong. He's still keeping it real. <laughs> he is. He's he still is going real. Keeping it going. I think he's a DJ now. Oh, absolutely. And that's where all the best musicians are <laughs> these days. Paris They're, Hilton, you know. <laughs> Paris Hilton. Nick Skitz. Correct, correct. <laughs> They've realised you don't want to be in a band, you want to be a DJ. Yep. So, yeah, following in, in the, the footsteps of Paris. So, um, look... I'm going I'm, I'm to say, for me personally, um, one of the most interesting things about this song um, is that the music video, Boy George, he's, he's in court, okay. Tom. He's standing up in front of the courtroom. He's, he's, he's standing there. Do we know what his crime is? We don't. We being don't know. too sexy? He's, I think his crime <laughs> is being too sexy. But he's uh, so he, yeah. he's pleading his case in front of the jury, who are all in blackface, might I add, okay. black and white mistrials for, for near wrinkle. This is re- for reasons that no one, not even Boy George, could probably explain why. <laughs> Let's make the jury blackface. Let's just do that. Does that sort of? Yeah. How does that work? I don't really I know. Do not know. But he's done that. Sure. Jury's in blackface. I'm enjoying this. He's up there. He says, "Give me time to realize my crime. Let me love and steal." And then he, you know, do you really want to hurt me? Do sure. you? He goes on and sings the, the, the classic refrain that we all know or all have tattooed on some part of our body. Sure. I know I do. And I think um, what happened after this for me, Tom, is the most interesting because we fast forward 25 years to the year 2008. Sure. And boy, George, um, look, he, he gets on the phone. He says, I need a male escort. <laughs> male escort comes over to his house. Sure. All been there. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, handcuffs him to a wall fixture. Hang on, who handcuffs who? To- uh, Boy George handcuffs oh, okay. the, the 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 person that he's acquired the services of, <laughs> sure. um, a, a young Norwegian man. Handcuffs him to a pipe, beats him with a metal chain. Sure. Um, Boy George gets arrested and gets put in jail for 15 <laughs> months. He's sentenced uh, to assault and battery and so put in probably in, shouldn't in the be prison. laughing at that. It's just that I'm transposing it with the same guy who did. It was in the video. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> and look, I don't know the inner workings of, of being a male escort, but I would have assumed that someone calls you up, you go over to the house, getting you know handcuffed to a pipe and beaten with a metal chain. It's just it's just part of the job description. It's just par for the course. Sure. Is there anything? Do you think someone should go to jail for 15 months for beating someone with a metal chain who is a male escort? I mean, it seems a bit excessive to me. You know, I suppose if you're going home with pop stars, like, you know, yeah. who knows what they're going to be into. You I know. think it just sounds like a bit of fun. <laughs> Boy George gets you over, beats you with a metal chain, you get paid, you go home. You go to the next job. I don't really think that, you know, this is necessarily something that, you know, someone should be incarcerated no, and has to serve a custodial sentence for. That's all I'm saying. It certainly seems saying. a bit excessive to be charged in front of a jury of your peers or a bunch of people in blackface. Exactly. Either way, you know, unless they are your peers. Exactly <laughs> right. Exactly. So... I mean, I suppose it is possible that underneath his thick layer of white makeup, he may have all been wearing a thick layer of black makeup. True. Underneath it. So, so he's a perhaps wa- people in blackface were his peers. In the <laughs> <laughs> they were wearing whiteface, and then they were put blackface on top of that. It doesn't. It's, no, see, I keep trying to make it work, and it just isn't working. No, it doesn't. I'm not sure. Maybe yeah, look, he could explain it. We'll get Boy George on the podcast. We'll say, "What's up with that fucking jury? I don't understand what's going on with that." Now, conspiracy theory time, sure. Tom. Um, Boy George is a time traveler. What do you think? He's traveled. Um, he's he's 2008. He's, he's been sent to prison for beating someone with a metal chain, travels back in time to 1983, records a single about his experience, <laughs> the video clip, he drops some little breadcrumbs for us, the video clip is there, he's in court, he's saying, you know, give me time to realise my crime, maybe when he was beating the man with the metal chain, I assume that Norwegian man was saying, do you really want to hurt me, do you really want to make me cry, I assume mm. that's what happened. Clearly so the answer was yes, I'm yeah. not sure if that worked in the song. <laughs> For, for sure. So, look, I don't know whether that's a controversial take, but look, we live in a time where a percentage of the population thinks the Earth's flat. Um, people also believe that the world is controlled by an elite pedophile ring. True. Uh, and only Donald Trump can stop them. So I think if they're the sort of conspiracy theories that, you know, have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers, I think that Boy George is a time traveller. It's not that weird. I think it holds water. Yeah, no, it's not that strange by comparison. No. Absolutely right. Still don't understand the blackface, but you know. No, no one does. Um, so 83, but this song had a bit of a second wind in the late 90s when it was featured in, in The Wedding Singer. Ah, uh, yes. The Adam Sandler classic film. Um, which song would you like to have seen on the Mr. Deeds soundtrack? The Mr. Deeds soundtrack. Um... Probably anything by anal cunts, I would think. <laughs> Of course, uh, definitely. Definitely. I think that would have worked out well. The only one I can think of is obviously... <laughs> I'm not even sure if I should say the title on the podcast, but <laughs> involves freezing vomit into a creative sort of implement. 
But um, like, yeah, no, obviously that, that would have probably raised the tone of Mr. Deed. Sorry, yeah. I, I very vaguely remember that film and most of what I remember is that it was effing terrible. Oh yeah, look, no <laughs> doubt it was terrible. But I think, um, look, The Wedding Singer, who knows, without Do You Really Want to Hurt Me could have been terrible. Maybe this is the song been. that... So maybe if, you, you know, if they got more Culture Club into other Sandler films... Um, you know, when did- Karma Chameleon into Don't Mess With The Zohan, it could have really elevated sure. that to be a comedy classic. I imagine it probably would have. I mean, people think that that's his best film. When was The Wedding Singer come out? Was that um, like mid-90s l- or late 90s? Maybe late 90s, like 98, I, that was, 7, That eight. was the first film I remember to try to cash in on that retro 80s thing. Mm. So it was less than a decade away from the 80s and they were already rehashing the <laughs> 80s. Like it had jokes about, oh, this is a new kind of music player. They call it a compact disc player True. and so forth. And people were still getting their first compact disc players like 18 months prior to that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, in friggin' Launceston. Certainly where I didn't have one until well into the new millennium. I think I bought my 60 disc changer after the wedding singer came out. So, yes. yeah. So anyway, yeah. But it's definitely a better film than Mr. Deeds for whatever that's worth. Perhaps that's because of Boy George's... Oh, no doubt. Highly we'll, creative. Look, we'll rank our Sandler films from 1, <laughs> one to 50 in a future sure. podcast um, sure. at some stage. So, look, um, just want to point out real quick that apparently the original name for Culture Club was Sex Gang Children. Would they have been as big with that name, Tom? <laughs> Would they have gone as far with that name? This is. It's funny that this should come up in the first song of the first episode of this but that's often been my one of my biggest you know brain teaser questions with bands is just would they have gotten where they are you know it's this with a shittier name with a shittier name but then and you think the obvious answer is no like if Nirvana were called you know Meat Flaps would they have achieved the success that they did probably not but then again (laughs) to counter that argument you do have to look at the alarming number of bands that were successful that have incredibly shit names and think do their names merely no longer sound shit because we've just processed them so much you know that they just seem kind of merely bad as opposed to actively offensive like you know, something like Pearl Jam is a terrible name. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> objectively awful. Yeah. But you've heard it so many times that, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Sixpence None the Richer, is that a good band name? <laughs> I mean, I see one of their T-shirts every day, at least once a day. Um, so I would in my, have preferred Sex Gang Children. Yeah, Sex Gang Children, yeah. Sixpence sex Gang Children is, uh, it's, it's interesting because... Um, the name actually came from the lyrics. So Malcolm McLaren, the uh, the ah, Sex yes. Pistols Famous. manager and yep. uh, other things, after the Sex Pistols broke up, he wrote a porno um, <laughs> called The Mile High Club. Okay. Uh, and it was going to be a porno that featured songs. Yep. And one of the, the theme song um, to The Mile High uh, Club was obviously called The Mile High Club. And the lyrics to that song featured the, um, the expression sex gang children okay uh so he floated this with a future band bow wow wow and they said no dice um and then culture club said no dice (laughs) we were thinking about this but then another band down the line um uh, a post-punk band have actually used that name and and that's one of those things like i think an idea that good will eventually get taken up by someone (laughs) Sure. You know, is that you just put it in the back pocket? You go, hey, boy George, what do you think about sex gang children? No, I'm not feeling it. Bow I, wow wow, what do you think about that? No. I think but, that Malcolm McLaren is one of those people where 
he has part of his genius is in his ability to somehow maintain people to remember his successes as opposed to his many, many failures, <laughs> which good. were fucking embarrassing. And Absolutely. the incredible number of dumb, shitty bands that he tried to assemble after the Sex Pistols with shitty, weird, thematic, clothing-based designs and stuff. Even something like Bow Wow Wow, who people do remember, had one hit, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they correctly. did. They had, they had one song that, that I remember, the one like C60 scene, the one about cassette tapes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, yeah. And also, he tried to front that band with like a 14 year old girl that he made like pose nude etc yes, so it's yeah. sort of so it's highly <laughs> sketchy to begin with and that with. was one of his successes by his comparison success. anyway exactly right. but um interestingly enough um on a bow wow wow tour boy george did get up and perform with the band uh, once under the name lieutenant lush okay is that a better name than boy george I reckon it's as good. Yep, definitely. I reckon it's as good. It's at least good. alliterative. Oh, it's, it's yeah, it, absolutely. And if you met him at a party and you said, oh, hey, man, how you doing, Ben? How are you? And he said, I'm Lieutenant Lush. He definitely like, remember looks that. more like the Lieutenant Lush. For sure. It, sound, it sounds like he's in the military for a start. You <laughs> earn a lot of respect from that. So it's pretty good. I like it. Um, anyway, so look... I don't know. I don't have much more to say about that song. Oh, I should um, do. All right. For, I'm going to do my lyrics highlight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you got? In this one, well, the lyrics highlight, obviously, as you've already pointed out, is uh, give me time to realise my crime, which in this case would be handcuffing a rent boy to a radiator <laughs> and then beating him up with a chain, I guess. Uh, this or, is or possibly it could be a reference to the time in 2005 where aged 44, which is older than my old ass is he was charged with drug possession after he got so high that he left his front door open at 3am then saw that his door was open freaked out thought he was being burgled called the cops on himself while he was high as shit then they came over at 3am and found large obvious bags of coke lying everywhere plus just coke all over every surface but fortunately you'll be relieved to know that it turned out that it wasn't his so you know <laughs> that's good so fortunately that was the end of it I think they Absolutely. just went oh, I, I sorry find, George yeah look, the police are usually quite reasonable <laughs> I think that that's a, definitely a defence that works yeah. almost 100% of the time <laughs> when you're caught with something that's illegal it's, it's not mine they go okay then fair enough can you point me in the direction of the person that was oh, I think he's over there somewhere and they leave you alone so yeah. um, it's good to be you know a um, purpose reply oh look I've got I've got a couple of quiz questions here Tom sure um, how many monthly listeners do you think uh, on Spotify, the streaming service that people seem to use these days, <laughs> Culture Club, year 2020, how many monthly listeners have these guys got? To, what does that mean? To how many, how many, they... I think it's how many unique listeners listen to Culture Club on a monthly basis. So, for oh, example... Okay. Just so, anything by Culture Club? Yeah, exactly. So in, November, so in November 2020, for example, how many different unique users have listened what? to Culture Club? In the whole world? In the whole world, hmm. yeah. Um, oh, I'd have to say that people, Generation X, sad cunts like me, are still into the 80s oh, yeah. a lot. So I reckon it, you'd have to be 100 million is that way too high? Yeah, it's way too high. Oh, okay. <laughs> a million? 
This is the first time anyone's asked me about Spotify viewing figures. I need it. I need it. Um, look, the, the thing ballpark. is, oh, exactly. So, look, I'm sorry, I put you on the spot there. Um, no, 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 that's four four point one million. Four point one million. So, yeah, four million people a month jump on and listen to Spotify so. and listen to anything by Culture Club. Absolutely, yeah, any I of the Culture Club songs. So, there you go. Hundred um, million might have been a bit optimistic. Yep. Look, Christmas is just around the corner, um, or it's coming up, or it's nowhere near now, depending on when you're listening <laughs> to this. And See, but um, I mean, got, in, just in case anybody younger than us wants to know how bands used to make shit tons more money than they used to in the old days those four million people if they wanted to hear the culture club would either have to go out to a shop and purchase the single of the song that they'd go they to brashes to as to. we mentioned they'd buy yes. it or tune into a radio station and sit through 486 shitty ads for bob jane t-mart before they heard <laughs> the song and then could record it onto a C60 <laughs> but then the last 30 seconds would be cut off yes. because the guy would jump on it and have to remind you to get down to carpet court or something yes, those or lines. the secret sound would interrupt it absolutely so yeah 4.1 million listeners um, look yeah as I said Christmas is just around the corner you got a friend they're a big culture club fan um, but someone's broken into their house <laughs> and stolen all their culture club singles you said be a nice gesture Gary I'm going to get you that culture club single do you really want to hurt me I'll buy that for you um, you go into Discogs, what's the cheapest price you could get a copy of Do You Really Want to Hurt Me For? On vinyl? On vinyl, yeah. Uh, seven inch single, what's the cheapest? Yeah, the original the cheapest one? seven inch single, yep. I reckon, gonna, on vinyl, 20 bucks? Tom, you can have it for 27 cents. Oh, Jesus There you Christ. go, what a deal, what a deal. So, obviously it wasn't one of those limited edition Blue Monday <laughs> no. corners cut off the, the packaging type deals. Indeed, okay, indeed. Right. So, but, you know, <laughs> but you know, there's posters Okay, so involved. I was only out by 1,000%. <laughs> but yeah. No, no, sorry, 10,000%. <laughs> Absolutely. So you have 27 cents, get on top of that. If you're a fan of the song... Um, Look, I should point out that uh, in the in the show notes to this, which I've not done, but I will do <laughs> if someone listens to this, I'll put a link to all the songs oh, yeah, on YouTube so everyone can jump on it. Not that any this, of these so. would be super difficult to find. Of like. course not, of course not. But yeah, listen to that. And then if you listen to it and say, wow, whoa, I'm blown away. I need some more of that in my life. Get onto Discogs, pick sure. a copy up for 27 cents and um, you're good to go. Discogs is great, I have to say. Absolutely. I've used that a few times. Absolutely right, for sure. Good good place to pick some stuff up. Um, they're not a sponsor of this show. We don't have any. <laughs> no, I've just used Bob them for Jane birthday presents. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Bob Jane, he came to sponsor us. Yeah. So this, um, I should quickly point out just before we get on the next song, that this was also number one in Austria, Belgium, Canada, Denmark, France, Ireland, Sweden, Switzerland, the UK, and West Germany. Wow, okay. All right. Not in the East. They hated it in East Germany, but in West Germany, they loved it. They probably didn't have it in East Germany. No, they, they were still listening, listening to, to Road to Gundagai and the Tucker Box song. <laughs> Played That's it all on the accordion in the rain, but That's all very sad, man. Absolutely. So, um, so, yeah, so that was number one for six weeks. Two weeks in 82, December 82. Four weeks. Oh, okay. Four more weeks in 83. So fast forward to the 7th of February, uh, 1983, mm-hmm. and we get the next song on the list. Uh, Tom, what's this one? This is Gloria by Laura Brennigan. Wow. And yes, I mean, as soon as you say it, if you know the song, as soon as you hear the words, you just immediately hear someone shouting the chorus because Gloria, that's basically what Gloria. the chorus is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the next, yeah. 
yep. follow-up words, a bit harder to pull the mind, but, you know. Absolutely. So this is number one for seven weeks. So people love the living fuck out of this. And I think it might have to do with the fact that this featured in Flashdance. Ah, yes, that would do it. That was one of the most popular films of 83, I believe, um, which is, uh, I think, actually, look, I don't want to, spoiler alert, there's another song off the Flashdance <laughs> soundtrack featured later on sure. in 83. I think, when, I think when we get to that... It was a big film. We can talk a bit more I about Flashdance. Unless you want to talk about Flashdance now. No, no, care. it's fine. We'll leave it for the next Don't care bit. about that. So, yeah, we'll talk about Flashdance. Also, Flash Dance. just maybe worth pointing out, unusually for a song released in the 80s that was on a movie soundtrack, it's not directly named after the character in the film who was not called Gloria. She was not Fuck named Gloria. No. So just someone shouting a different name of a character over footage of the character, but sure, you know. Does it make a lot of sense or does it? Who knows? (laughs) Why not? Who is this Gloria? What's going on? Don't worry about it. It's fine. Just proceed. Just keep watching the film. Don't worry. We just needed a song for a montage and this happened to be it. So don't worry about anything at all. So this is actually a cover. This was um, released in uh, in Italy in 1979. Um, Umberto Tozzi. Uh, Not heard the original, but look, um, this is... Not a popular opinion, but I think that the cover's always better than the original. So, 100% of the sure. time, yeah. the cover's better it's than the original. And I'll explain why. Because, you know, imagine the first time you went rollerblading, were you any good? You <laughs> fell over a lot, you hurt yourself, terrible. True. But by the 10th time, yep. 20th time, you got better. It's the same with music. I knew that someone, it was going to be my yeah, exactly. form of employment for the rest of my life. Exactly. Yeah. So someone writes a song, they records it, it's fine, sure. But then someone else... Finds that song, they tweak it, they make it better. They Maybe they it. put some 180 BPMs underneath it, um, which happened a lot in the 90s. They get uh, East 17 involved. They get East 17, they add a rap verse in there. And the next thing you know, That's right. it's a lot better song than it originally yes, was. Definitely. Um, and look, the proof's in the pudding. Um, as I said, I've not heard the original, but I know that this is a lot better without having heard the original. Um, and not only that, Laura Branigan stepped things up in 2004 when she released a cover version of her own song, um, a high energy version, which sure. to me, I think just means it's the same song, but just a lot of uh, dance beats underneath. Yes, so. that would be some hardcore behind it. Yeah, that similar hard bag as my brother used to insist on calling She would have got onto a guy probably in the Netherlands maybe yep. West Germany and said, mate, uh, well, they were unified in 2004, so just general Germany, said, mate, can you throw some beats behind this? Yep. Make it real fast, speed it up. I want this back in the charts. Go, um, no problems. I've got a quadruple CD already <laughs> printed on Dayglow. I don't know what's going on it. It's just fluorescent yellow and it needs songs to back it up. So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, in recent times, 2019, Tom, you probably wouldn't be aware of this. Um, I, I only found this out via uh, the internet, the, the Wikipedia, but um, NHL, National Hockey League in the US, um, St. Louis Blues, um, 2019, they weren't doing so great. Mm-hmm. Their season, they, they'd lost a lot of games. Sure. They were doing poorly. Um, you know, I assume a coach, someone came in and said, guys, look, you know, you really got to step it up a bit. We need you to win more games. We want yeah. to get the fans out. We want to get people excited. We want you to win. We need something. What's wrong with you? What? What? You know? Why aren't you performing to your absolute best? Um, and I assume someone raised their hand and said, "Look, we need 
an anthem. We need a, a pump-up song. Sure. Sure, we're professional athletes. Sure, we're getting paid millions of dollars a year. Sure, we'll be retired by the age of 30. Sure, we're banging supermodels in our free time and doing cocaine. Um, we have more money than we'll ever need in our entire lives. But that's not enough. We need something else. We need a pump-up song. We need something to get us going. How about the 1983 Laura Branigan song, Gloria? Sure. Um, it came out before any of you were born. <laughs> before anyone in the team was born. Nothing to do with hockey at all. <laughs> about exactly. 50% of it is someone shouting the name of a yeah. random lady that you don't know what that means. Indeed. And yeah. the team said, look, in lieu of any other suggestions, <laughs> you know, any Pantera fans there, I would have thought, you know, sort of, you know, I'm broken or something like that. Anything to get you pumped. Because hockey sort of, you know, people are getting punched in the head. Sure. People are getting hit with the hockey sticks, you know, getting hit with a puck. Yes. I would have thought some sort of, yeah, I just assumed it would have been Pantera, but no, they just <laughs> went with, with Laura Branning and Gloria. Um, and guess what? They turned their season around. They won the whole championship. Really? They did. Oh, well, there you go. Off the back of this song. That's um, not a bad punchline. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope they wrote a nice thank you note to I did. Laura well, Branigan. Well, quote, um... <laughs> Brannigan and Gloria will forever be intertwined with the blues and the city of St. Louis. How strange. Which is fantastic. Sure. <laughs> now, remember, Tom, this isn't the fucking plot to a Mighty Ducks film, okay? <laughs> this is a legitimate film. Like, this is, you know, an actual sports team, not a shitty Disney, like, oh, we need a pump-up song to get us going. What about, oh, oh, my mum's Laura Brannigan. Fucking get her down and we'll sing this song. This is an actual, you know, sports team of grown-up people that decided they needed a pump-up song and they chose this. Look, um... It did the trick, so maybe they were right and I'm wrong. Yeah. I just assumed they would have chosen something better, but that's fine. But actually, look, this is better than that Culture Club song. This is my favourite of the it's year so far. It's more of a pump-up, certainly. I mean, yeah. I, I suspect that that's part of the reason why it was popular, is just that cl- that chorus is just sort of fun to shout along to in a car. Oh, yeah. Even oh, if you, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, even if you only know that one word from this, you can sing yeah. along. Quite, there's a certain number of songs where you can sing along knowing one single word of the lyrics, and that's definitely one of them. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the only part of the song you want to sing along to, because the the rest is actually really depressing. Yes, I was <laughs> going to say the same thing. Ironically, it's kind of a downer for something which kind of does sound vaguely exultant. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, have you have you got any uh, key lyrics for this one, Tom? Because um, yeah, yep. Well, I mean, for instance, like a lot of it is about you know, like it's 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 it seems to be one woman talking to. I mean, I suppose the Italian version was written by a dude, but for the purposes of this. It's a woman talking to another woman, basically saying, look, what's going on with your life? Everything's gone wrong, you know? There's a sort of certain segment of songs uh, that are about that kind of thing. But, like, for instance, uh, if everybody wants you, why isn't anybody calling? You don't have to answer. Leave them hanging on the line. Mm. Which uh, is a bit weird, the the sentence, if everybody wants you, why isn't anybody calling? Sure, makes sense. You know. Is it a hockey reference, Tom, that I don't know of? In the no, no, but then immediately then following up with, you don't have to answer, leave them hanging on the line, seems to indicate that people are simultaneously calling you, but also not... <laughs> why isn't anybody calling? You know, you're such a loser that no one's calling. Then literally the next lyric is, you don't have to answer the phone, leave them hanging on the phone. <laughs> so <laughs> you're kind of implying that someone's a loser because no one's ringing them, then also implying that they're a loser because they're not picking up the phone. And then later on in the song, repeatedly it says, or perhaps it's just the voices in your head. Yep. It's to imply that you're also insane. So 
are the voices in your head using like a landline to call you? Are they <laughs> it like, would really, sound like it. really polite voices in your head that, you know, just ring and wait, you know, until you've got time to pick up. Otherwise they're happy to just call back later, you know, when you're feeling a bit better adjusted. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And look, I think it's unusual. The lyrics don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> um, but the ones that do, it seems to suggest that, um, look, Gloria, it sounds like she's suffering from mental illness and I don't know whether that's, you know, you want fans at a hockey rink pumping their fists going, yeah, she's heading for a breakdown. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that's some of the other lyrics. I, mean, uh, I think you're headed for a breakdown. Yeah. Be careful not to show it. Um, are there voices in your head calling <laughs> Gloria? So, look, it's a little bit disturbing, but let's hope that, um, you know, in the year 2020, uh, Gloria via the hockey team, you know, gets the assistance that she needs. She's a fictional character, but nevertheless. Sure. Uh, just for what it's worth, um, this might be a recurring theme. This may have had to do with the fact that I used one particular website that I won't name immediately to do research <laughs> on this, but for some reason, there are a shitload of songs called Gloria. Like, I think maybe because it's just a kind of good lyric, like it just has a good vocal kind of inflection as a name, like oh, compared yeah. to like it's got three syllables. Yes, for a start. and it's it punchy. sort of goes. It's also take from a guy who's had a Christian upbringing. It's in a lot of hymns mm. for that same reason because it means like glory in Latin or whatever. Um, and yeah, anyway, you know, like plenty of other words are fun to say. Vagina is pretty good, but you know, it's not in a lot of song titles. Anyway, I've had at least there are at least eight or nine different songs called Gloria. So for what it's worth, even though it's not a particularly common name, there's a lot of songs named after it. But yeah. Yep. Anyway. Absolutely. Right. Shall we move on? Unless yes, for got sure. anything else to say. Oh, look, not really. It's a <laughs> oh, classic. Yeah, it's great. Um, U2, Van Morrison, Steerak, Patti Smith, the Lumineers, blah, 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 have, all have songs called Gloria. Anyway. Lots of people have embraced the, sure. <laughs> the title. Okay. The song called that. What's um, up next? Well, real quick... Um, Monthly listeners for Laura. Remember, Culture Club had uh, uh, 4.1. Just for that one song. Um, any 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 Laura Brannigan song. I don't know how many <laughs> she's got. I'm guessing maybe less. I'm guessing maybe 40,000? 2 million. 2 million. 2.3 million. Half as many people. It's all those Laura hockey Brannigan. fans listening oh, to Gloria. Maybe I assume. Is. I don't know. God. All right. Um, Jeez, you got me there. Maybe she had other hits that I'm oh, just look, unaware of. We'll find out, sure. hopefully, in due course. <laughs> um, what? Uh, how much are you going to pay for this on Discogs? Oh, come on. All right. Well, going by your previous principle, I'll say half as many listeners, I'll give it half as much. Say 10 cents. 69 cents oh, so nice. people people want this probably I don't know maybe just there's less out in the wild maybe there's maybe, maybe there's more I could demand. imagine yeah. less were pretty I just assume supply and demand Tom and uh, yeah there's a demand here sure um, and well <laughs> not a lot of demand but 69 worth <laughs> exactly exactly right and this uh, reached number one in Canada the only other place okay. is Australia and so. what do they love in Canada Hockey. Yes. They absolutely do. So they were well ahead of their time. Maybe that's why. It all, all right. makes sense. It's all it's all falling into place. So that was, yeah, seven weeks. So we, we're now 28th of March, way into that. And um, number one song, next one is uh, Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warns, Up Where We Belong. Sure. And am I wrong or is this another movie soundtrack? Yeah. 
But it seems like in the 80s, um, the best way to get your song to the top of the charts was to have it in a film that it people liked. certainly worked for Huey Lewis and the News. <laughs> certainly, certainly. I don't think, uh, I don't think they had out. albums, they just <laughs> did movie soundtracks. Yo, Huey, can you give us something for Back to the Future? You bet I can. You bet I can. Thanks, Huey. Moving right along. Um, but yeah, so the, what, what, this is from an officer and a gentleman. Okay, yes. Famously, the film where he walks out the end and with carrying the woman and throws the hat up in the air. That's my main memory of the film. Yeah, um, I don't actually know if I've seen it. Uh, I don't think I have. I honestly, it's one of those ones where I can't tell either whether I've seen it or have merely seen bits of it. Yeah, referenced so many times that I feel as though I've seen it. I'm sure. I'm sure it was movie. It's of the Richard Gere. I know that, and it's got yeah. Yeah, I think that he's an officer and she's a gentleman or possibly <laughs> vice versa or maybe they're both officers and gentlemen or neither. I'm not sure. But Look, yeah. uh, I assume that the film features an officer and a gentleman sure. at the very least. And things being lifted up where they belong, presumably, <laughs> yeah. as the song yeah. would suggest. Yeah, the lyrics, love lifts us up where we belong, where the eagles cry on a mountain high. Sure. Um the road is long, there are mountains in our way, but we climb a step every day. That's my lyrical highlight. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Perfectly logical way to climb mountains. Just time-wise, if you climb one step every day, assuming your mountains are the kind of stairs going up them, yep. uh, I'm not sure if you'll ever get up where you belong in the sense that I used to live in Trevallon at the top of a flight of 200 stairs, and at Joe Cocker's place, it would have taken me seven months to get home every time I went to the chip shop. So, yeah. It doesn't work. Like... Being at the bottom of a mountain for a Joe, long time. it's not practical. It's not <laughs> no, practical. It's simply, and especially it's, it's plural mountains as well. It's not oh, that there's a geez. mountain in our way. Jesus so, Christ. Yeah, he's basically trying to do the Tour de France at about the speed of a ant carrying some heavy shopping, as Blackadder would say. Yeah, look, that's, that, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that. Um, it's a very simplistic song, lyrically. A lot of these are, to be, to be honest. I'm not yeah. sure if that was the 80s or just... Pop yep. music in general, but yep. yeah. Um, that said, he gets the message across. He would rather be up higher than he currently is. Yeah. That's basically it. Look, this is a power duet. I think that's what I'm going to call yes. it. Um, yeah. So I, I, I do enjoy a power duet. I don't know whether this is the finest example. Um, but it's, look, it's fine. It's passable. Will I ever listen to this again <laughs> in my life when it's not in an IGA? Um, probably not. Um, I can't see myself putting it on of my own accord, but who knows? Maybe this would probably make a great song at your third wedding, I assume. Sure. Not the first one. Probably not the second. Number three, I reckon you'd probably throw this on, I'd suggest. Um, Joe Cocker, should he have just called himself Cocker? Like Beyonce yeah. or, or Cher or Madonna. I think he should have. Should I think Coco is just a great name. It's a great as name. A, for it to be a musician. So. And I mean, he was kind of a rocker. Like, yep. You know, yep. like not, this is more of a your sort of power ballad kind of a doova, but yeah, I mean, he was. I think people only knew rocker, him as a rocker. Like a blues kind of, blues rock sort yep. of dude, wasn't he? I think some of his diehard fans saw this as a bit of a misstep because I said he's, he's, he's pussied out and he's doing <laughs> bullshit soundtrack work with Jennifer Warnes now. And Any idea who Jennifer Warnes is? Oh, uh, look. Um, look, uh, my research... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's all right. I didn't, I I just, I didn't even bother. When I, I, even... when I Googled the lyrics for this, it did not come up with her name. I'm sure, that's, I'm sure you're right that it's her. It's just like on the cover of the... The pictures that I had of the current covers of the singles, it did not prominently feature her Look, name. So maybe over time she got edged off the page and 
Or she failed to be lifted up where she belongs. <laughs> She's not lifted up to where she belongs. Um, I don't know, some sort of glass ceiling probably <laughs> preventing her from getting the detention sure. that she deserves sure. on the Wikipedia page, which is unfortunate. That's um, true. Hopefully we can... Well, look, I think it's time to give her credit where credit's due. Um, don't know a lot about her, but she certainly performed this song and she also was one half of another power duet um, from Dirty Dancing. I've had the time of my life. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> So that's all I know about those two songs. Um, if you've only got two songs to yeah, your credit, to, to in the eighties, absolutely, not, that's not friggin' bad. For that would sure. be like having a song on Hobbs and Shaw, you know, and Fast and the Furious twenty seven. Exactly, you know, in exactly the right. in the the twenty tens, like <laughs> definitely, definitely. And if you're if you've got two hits that are duets do you only get half of the credit for each one so you put them together and then you're technically a one hit wonder or do you say you've got me I've there. performed on two hits I'm a two hit wonder <laughs> she might have more hits I don't know but I certainly know those two perhaps it was the surname yeah Jennifer Warnes it's not as good as Joe Cocker is it? no if she'd Cocker. been Jennifer Knocker yeah it could have been Cocker and Knocker you know <laughs> this would have like you that's, could, that's no that's, limit to where no. you could go with a name like that absolutely yeah Definitely. So, look, this is um, this is fine. Uh, yeah, sure. yeah. There you go. Uh, although they have a lot of Spotify listeners, Tom. Oh, Joe Cocker would sure. Yeah, sure. There'd be a lot of dads listening to Joe Cocker still. Yep. And he's British, isn't he? Too. They're big on that sort of stuff. Joe Cocker is. Uh, he's is got. He? He's got five point four. Million monthly listeners. Yeah, I believe that um, he'd be bigger than so in that in that bracket right. of you know regular listeners. I reckon. Yeah. No, he's he is British. That's correct. So um, they would they still love him there. I think he's from Sheffield. Um, so they would love him there. Everyone in Sheffield's <laughs> listening to him <laughs> sure. on a daily basis. Hey, the Brits take their pop music very Definitely. seriously. And Jennifer Warnes has got four point four million monthly listeners. She's got more. Hell? She's got more than Culture Club. That is bananas. Everyone's just listening to the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. <laughs> And an officer and a gentleman. Maybe soundtrack. she had more than I, th- more stuff than I thought. This is going to be an eye-opening experience, yeah, or an oh, ear-opening sure. experience. Some um, office is going to get opened, I'm sure. And I should quickly point out that this was written by uh, a man by the name of Jack <laughs> Nietzsche, um, who was apparently the right-hand man of Phil Spector. Um, hopefully not in the murder that he can be, uh, sort of <laughs> no Jack the, Nietzsche good name though yeah absolutely much, much better in the sort of industrial music area I think definitely. Jack Nietzsche would be a good name definitely so yeah so if he was the right hand man of Phil Spector um, in, in that Nietzsche. murder he would name. he would probably be in prison yes. so I assume he's not that's just called an accessory to murder I think um, <laughs> rather than right hand man as people like to say but yes. <laughs> um, don't know much about him either, but he's probably he's he's probably doing all right. I think so. Um, Discogs, what are you going to pay for this? Uh, on vinyl, the only problem with this is that it's less of a measure of popularity and more of a measure of how many they actually printed of this. Yeah, I'm going to say a, because this was on this album, they would have printed a bazillion. So I'm going to say thirty cents. Yeah, 16. 16, 16 cents. wow. Yeah, okay, so, so the cheapest yeah. one so far. Cheapest yeah. one so far, definitely. Um, that's not saying it's the worst song so far, although it is, no. let's face it. But, you know, <laughs> definitely is. Um, and this is number one uh, outside of Australia in the USA, yep. um, Canada, and South Africa. Mm-hmm. So you know it's good because those, cool. those countries all know music, <laughs> definitely. Um, cool. All right, so yeah, that was two weeks. So up next... Um, 9th of May oh sorry no 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 uh, 11th of April 
Um, Michael Jackson, Billy Jean. Ooh, wow. I mean, okay. I'll look, leave you to start this one. <laughs> look, Tom, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room. Um, a lot of people, I guess, have an issue with Michael Jackson in the year 2020. <laughs> I will say he died at the right time. I will say that. Um, <laughs> given that, you know, the intense spotlight that would probably be yes. shone on, you know, his his life now, you know, sort of we live in an era yes. where, um, you know, people, I think, thought that they could get away with almost anything. And I guess Harvey Weinstein and other, other people, <laughs> Bill Cosby, sure. we, we've shown that, no, you know. People... And it's, it is also worth pointing out that all of those people still have their defenders, including Michael Jackson. Yeah. And Absolutely. it's also probably worth pointing out that the debate about to what extent you can judge an artist by the actions of their private life is would take a longer podcast than this to fucking get into. Absolutely. So for Absolutely. the purposes of this, we're just going to talk about stuff that, you know, even if the people involved in it did terrible things, I guess. Oh, certainly. Look, <laughs> look, look. As um, long as you don't pretend that they didn't, I think that's fine. Definitely. Look, yeah, Michael Jackson's definitely a pedophile. I'm calling it now. I'm saying it. I'm not going to beat around You're the bush. You're willing to take uh, I'm, I'm willing to. I'm willing to take uh, him on. Uh, he's dead. I don't believe you can defame the dead. Um, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I don't think you can. But look, um, it raises a few questions. One, can we separate the art from the artist? Yeah, well, this is this is what I mean. Like, yep. I, I find that debate really interesting. But um, favorite writer of mine was very obsessed with that idea. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he never came to a solid conclusion either. Like, it's it's just impossible. And then it gets down to that's even part of a larger question, which is to what extent can you judge somebody by their time as well, which is in Michael Jackson's case is irrelevant because being a pedophile's never been super in fashion. No. But like, you know, attitudes and so forth enter into things as well. You know, like what, there's an astonishing number of pop songs, many of them in top one around the world that are about having sex with underage people. It's just that the underage wasn't quite as underage as he liked them to be. Of course. They were more like 15, 16 and 17 as opposed to, you know, whatever Michael was into. But, um, Definitely. Yeah, I, I look, truly, I'm not sure. I'm yep. not sure. Oh, look, and, and I think it's, uh, it's a question that is probably, it depends on what the person has done. Uh, I gather, you know, there's probably some things that people have done, certain crimes or whatever that make it very difficult to, I guess, have that same connection with the music, knowing what some, you know, someone's personal life um, and crimes that they may have committed. Um, look, you know, this is one of those ones where, um, what what do you do? Some people say, okay, Michael Jackson, he's a pedophile. I'm never going to listen to his music ever again. Or... I can separate the art from the artist and I just enjoy his music. Now, yeah. is one of those right, one of those wrong? I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? I was, ha- I was having this discussion with a, at a party with someone a little while ago and I was there, they were sort of younger, slightly more, you know, politically sort of aware person than I am. And I was sort of saying, well, like in Michael Jackson's case, like he's dead and I'm never going to pay for any of his music. Yep. So, you know, like, it's not like I'm funding a pedophile by buying his music. I'm not, you know, so what does it matter if I listen to it? And their argument was, you know, the younger people argument was, uh, A, there's plenty of other different people that you could be listening to, like, you know, young and upcoming artists who need your money as opposed to, you know, whatever old 
sex freaks <laughs> you could be listening to and B also I mean like I have heard Billie Jean 500 times like yeah, I love it never, a, yep. I personally have to admit straight off the bat that it's a fantastic song but yep. you know but um and then the, their other argument was also by listening to stuff that's you know in which a person committed a crime you're sort of to someone who had that crime committed against them you're kind of you know in in uh what's the word indirectly demonstrating a lack of sympathy for people who suffered from the thing that was done to them by someone like this person you know but then again you could say you know it's a bit strong saying that you support pedophilia just because you listen to a song written by a pedophile you know like and there's plenty of you know Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland were almost certainly written by pedophiles but Mm. You know, they've major motion pictures made of them in the last five years. Like yeah. no one's picketing outside of them, going, "Don't go in to see them." So, Certainly. yeah, absolutely. The, it's it's about how well known, I guess, someone and and in this and day how and age, recent. Certainly, is, you yeah, know, like, for sure. Michael Jackson. Um, you know, he's only been dead for ten years, so he's been alive during the internet times, where people can go on and find things out. As you said, yeah. books that are written. A hundred years ago, people, you know, their private life is is less well known and probably not as well documented. That's true. Although it's not like pedophilia was legal then either. It was treated with an equal level of disgust. It was just that it was not as openly talked about. Yeah, Yeah, so I guess a lot of people say, what what do I do in this situation? Well, don't worry. I've got a practical (laughs) solution, Tom. I'm glad. I've got a very practical solution. We shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is something Michael himself would never do obviously um, he would not do that um, it's, it's a, that's a stupid exp- has anyone ever thrown a baby out with bath water it's the fucking stupidest expression oh, threw the water out and the baby was in there but look the practical solution is this Tom it's very straightforward if you listen to Michael Jackson songs um, of a certain period I think you're good to go uh, we need to divide his character his, his, sorry we need to divide his career into two very distinct eras. There's the pre-pedophile era, sure. pre-pedo, and post-pedophile era, post-pedo. Now, um, did you watch Leave, uh, Leaving Neverland? I watched one of them. That was as much as I it's could hard. stomach. It's hard. After that, I was like, I think I get the gist. Hard to get. Hard to, very, very <laughs> difficult to get through. But um, I guess uh, one takeaway from that is that the, the two accusers, um, so Wade Robson and James Safechuck, I think they sort of alleged that, you know, they met Michael Jackson sort of, I think it was around 1988, that sort of era. And, yeah. and obviously they they suggest that, that after meeting Michael Jackson, certain things happened. So I think in terms of the timeline, these people are the, f- the first accusers as far as let's I know. Say let's say that it was that. around that era for the purposes of argument. For, for the sure. purposes of argument. So anything prior to 1988, I think you're good to go. That That's pre-pedo. Okay, so this song now, if you want to crank Billie Jean, absolutely go for it. Pre-pedo. Go absolutely nuts on this. Anything from bad, anything from off the wall, anything from the Jackson 5, obviously. You know, he was a child himself then, so if he was having sex with children, it doesn't really matter, does it? He was a child himself. But anything after 88 is post-pedo. And if you're listening to Dangerous, you're basically a pedophile enabler, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so you've got to draw the line in the sand somewhere. Yes. Um, now, if politics has taught us anything, it's that if you've got a really complicated, nuanced, almost impossible to answer question, the best solution is to just pick a completely arbitrary 
line and just stick to it rock hard. So let's, let's make it that. Absolutely. So 1988 is the official dividing line. For Michael Jackson, <laughs> if, if I'm at a house party and you're playing Remember the Time, I will throw your stereo out of the window, okay? That's what I'm saying. May but... I also just point out as well that this, you know, supporting your theory here, Billie Jean comes from the era when Michael Jackson was occasionally still distinctly writing songs about adult women. Mm. Uh, as opposed to how the children in the world weren't getting enough love, you know, in a sort of general sense. <laughs> so, um, yep. yes, and that leads into, I guess, the question of what this actual uh, song was about. Oh, yeah, for sure. So this is pretty odd as well because I think it was uh, a fan had written him a letter ah. that said, hey... Um, I always wondered if this was a true story or not. Yeah, apparently. So apparently the fan wrote in and she claimed that Michael Jackson was the father of one of her twins. So already that's a a red flag to begin (laughs) with. You're the father of one of my twins. Now that makes no fucking sense. Just Just one of them. So (laughs) she should have went all in. She hedged her bets and said, you're the father of one of my kids, which just makes the story implausible. She should have said, you're the father of both of my twins. Sure. So it sets off a red flag as to the legitimacy of this story. Um, anyway, apparently Michael was quite disturbed about this. Um, the woman sent him a photo of herself, I believe. Yeah. Um, and a with a gun in, in the letter as well. I think, and instructing him to die at a particular time. And the fan, she would do the same once she had killed their baby so that they could be together to, in the next life. Yeah. So this is all pretty disturbing stuff. Um, Michael had the photograph framed and hung above the dining room table at his house. <laughs> so he's already fucking lost his mind. So if someone sent me wow. a so gun... So he's still and, living with his family he's still at this point. His, Michael Jackson's still living with his mum. Oh, so if someone sent me a, a picture of themselves and a gun saying, kill yourself, I'll kill myself, we'll be together in the next <laughs> life, um, I'd be fucking calling the cops. I don't think I'd be framing that photo. Sure. Um, so look, so, so the song's about that. So it's a bit of a disturbing song. I can't really imagine getting up on stage and singing this every night, going, Billy Jean, with that sort of... Um, it isn't. It kind of... It also sort of asks the question, was he possibly a bit of a player at this time? Oh, no doubt. Was he... So I mean, well, it kind of asked the question, like, either did the song either serve, disturb him so much because he slept with so many groupies that it seemed possible yep. that he'd accidentally found the child, or conversely, did it disturb him so much because he never slept with anyone True. and he was still this kind of innocent childlike figure and so the idea that he'd accidentally fathered a child disturbed him so much that he stuck a framed picture at the end of the table like, who knows? Because the lyrics aren't, by Michael Jackson's standards, they're not creepy no. you know, like, they're pretty straightforward like, in fact, they sound quite adult, he, he kind of paints himself as a bit of a player mm, in absolutely. the song, like Look, these are questions that unfortunately will never get answered, Tom, <laughs> now that he's in the ground. Um, I don't know why I'm asking you what Michael Jackson thought. Well, if he was still alive today, the first thing I'd ask him is, what was your motivation for writing this song, uh, which is clearly about a very disturbed fan. Um, so, look, that's that was his prerogative. It was a big hit. Good on him. Um, so, yeah, look, I think, as I said before, though, look, the the... The pre-pedophile and post-pedophile career break, I think it's the way to go. I'm living by that. I encourage everyone listening to this podcast to do the same. Sure. Um, so 
that's that's the big takeaway from this. Just remember, you know, if your mum passes away, she loves Michael Jackson. Just make sure at her funeral you play, you know, Thriller, <laughs> play Bad, you know, play Dirty Diana. Well, if her name's Diana, probably don't play Dirty <laughs> Diana. That'd be kind of weird. But do that, okay? And everyone, and if someone says, "Oh, you play Michael Jackson," just go. It's pre-pedo. Don't yes. worry about it. But if they request black or white, then you Tell just have to put to your get foot down. the fuck out. Exactly. So look, I think that's the way to go. Remember that. Um, Reddit user MJ Truther two eight seven though disagrees with my theory. Um, he believes that Michael had dropped some breadcrumbs throughout his career. Uh, and if you have an so original vinyl, style. yep, exactly. Sure. If you've got an original vinyl copy of Thriller, and you put this song up, you, you turn it up as loud as it goes. Put on some good headphones. He says that if you listen really carefully, you can hear the backing vocals yeah. where Michael Jackson is singing these actual lyrics. Billy's penis. Oh, I love it. He's just a boy that said that I am the one. I'll touch his ball sack and his bum. So I don't know what to what to, what to believe. Was was Michael? Does this MJ Truther wouldn't be one of your internet aliases? (laughs) I just made it up then. Yeah, exactly. I tried to give it some legitimacy by saying I read it on Reddit, but I didn't. So, um, so I don't know. This could be prepared as well. But I'm drawing a line in the sand. 88. This song is good to go. Crank it up. Go nuts. I mean, props to a child molester. This is impossible not to dance to. This song. You could play this to like coma victims to make sure they're not faking it. Like it's just untouchable definitely really. now we've we've launched one conspiracy theory already that boy george is a time traveler um i'm gonna double down do you think michael jackson faked his own death <sighs> i mean is he working as a dental nurse <laughs> um in devonport weirdly i would say compared to a lot of celebrities that are accused of faking their own deaths it would actually make a lot of sense for him compared to someone like tupac or elvis yep. or something like that if anybody had a reason to fake their own oh, death, this guy did. it would yeah, absolutely. definitely be Michael Jackson. Yep. He's already demonstrated that he would have fitted right in in 2020 by his willingness to wear a mask in public 24-7. So if you really convincingly wanted to just hide yourself for the rest of your life and tell people you're a horrible burn victim with a very high voice, like, yep. you know, the problem of being possibly the most famous musician in the entire world at this time might have been a bit of an impediment to it. Like, even when he died, he was still the Tom Cruise of child molesters, you know? Yeah, but but the fact that everyone's getting around in a face mask these days, he could, yeah, you're right, he could seamlessly this blend year into society. Been fine. Yeah, totally. He could get back into society, <laughs> just wear a hoodie, he'd be fine. No one, had, he'd, he'd be living a normal life. I just think. needed like a Darth Vader voice modulator device to get his voice back to sort of something normal. Preaching. That's true, that's true. So. Um, yeah, definitely faked his own death, um, calling it now. And I think he, he also created COVID-19 in a lab to get everyone to wear a face sure. mask so he could blend I mean, back into society. It sounds very plausible. Sounds plausible. He I had think the money to do it. Absolutely. He had so, the ranch to do it on. So if everyone wants to follow Tom and I's spin-off <laughs> uh, YouTube conspiracy ch- uh, theory channel, there's going to be a it's lot of great stuff. i Reddit right now. Yep. Um, <laughs> did Michael Jackson uh, create coronavirus? Uh, the answer is a definite yes, and we will tell you all the reasons why. <laughs> sure. Um, so this one, yeah, this was number one in a lot of places, obviously. Belgium, Canada, France, Ireland, Italy, Spain, Switzerland, UK, USA. Um, how many monthly listeners does this guy have? Oh, heaps. Flipping heck. You'd 
I'd have to go close to my original estimate and say 400 million. <laughs> Is that my Am I still too that's, high? That's a lot. But 23 million, the, 23 most, the, million. the most so far. Wow. That's a lot though. That's not as many as I would have thought. Though. Nah, I mean, that's not, that, that's not way more than flipping Joe Cocker. I but mean, you've got to remember, that would have been 46 million, but it's cut in half because people are only listening to half of his catalogue. They're only listening to, <laughs> to post. The, to pre- the, the post-pedophile is out. They're only listening to the pre-pedophile. Um, so... Yeah, sure. that that would be a lot more. I'm sticking with 400. Someone's got to have 400 million at most, anyway. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lyrics wise, it's not much to. It's a like it's a pretty straightforward song about you know what he's talking about, as we've already discussed. Yep. I always wondered. He says repeatedly, "Danced on the floor in the round." Mm. over and over again, and I always thought that was a bit weird because the only reference to dancing in the round that I remember was from this ballroom dancing we used to do at school and dancing in the round was one of those weird choreographed things where you go round and round and everybody goes down the middle and like it's this big and I always thought it can't mean that and of course it doesn't mean that it means I don't know if it's an American expression or not but it means when the seating in the place goes around the dance floor so when you're dancing you're kind of centre stage you know like so which is kind of what he's talking about in the song like so coming to dance in the round means you're like the star of the show sort of thing like so yeah, yeah, that's not that funny, but I just thought it was vaguely interesting. Absolutely, definitely, definitely. So yeah, those and those are the real lyrics, not Billy's penis or I no. love it. <laughs> hey, see, I'm not looking between the lines. No, I'm looking that's at true. That's true. <laughs> definitely. Well, we'll dig into that conspiracy sure. theory action. Yeah, I'm sure Michael Jackson's going to recur on this shenanigans. Oh, no doubt. He's got other songs. Um, let's hope that they're soon pre-88 because post. I won't talk about them. Um, but anyway, so that was yeah. Five weeks there. Up next um, for two weeks was uh, 23rd of May, 16th of May, sorry. We get uh, Red Gum. I was only 19. <laughs> sure. Let's get into this. This would be... I, this is interesting, this one, to me. Mm. Like, this would mean very little to anyone who's not Australian, yep. I would imagine. It's a very Aussie song, this one. Yep. Yeah. I mean, please, go go for it. Oh, look, it's... I, th- I think uh, the main thrust of this song is... Uh, I was only 19. Really talks about, um, yeah, teenagers that are effectively <laughs> sent to war. Basically, sure. that's what the yes. song's about. So, paints a vivid image of what it must have been like to be 19 and sent off to Vietnam. I believe it fight. was based on someone that he knew, but I don't think anyone in the band actually went to Vietnam. No. Australia didn't send that many people to Vietnam. You know, yep. it was thousands, not hundreds yes. of thousands. Yep. But yeah. Exactly. So, look, I think it probably. Um, yeah, it's something that I recall even in high school. I think they'd play it in school assemblies on like, you know, Remembrance Day. Yeah. Um, something like that. So, you know, young people could, could I guess... After your moment of silence or whatever. Exactly. Exactly right. Um, so, Red Gum, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it. They're a one-hit wonder. I'm saying it now. Um, they had yeah. another song called I've Been to Bali 2. <laughs> I watched it on YouTube. It was dog shit. I um, I'd never heard of it. I watched it too. I I was amazed that the funny thing about that song, I thought it would be about how rad going to Bali is. Yep. But in actual fact, it seems to be taking the piss out of Australian fuckwits going to Cuda, which yep. apparently was a cliche in nineteen eighty three. So exactly. <laughs> good. Going on forty years we've just been absolutely destroying this tropical paradise Certainly. in the name of V B and Bintang shirts. Uh, yeah, I, I assume Sorry, as well that I people... apologize to Southeast Asia. Yeah. Poor, poor bastards. Well that was the thing. I thought the sort of Australian going to Indonesia and acting, you know, like 
basically a complete dickhead. And uh, I thought that was more of a sort of jet star in, the, you know, like we've got jet, we've got cheap flights yes. now. People are, so more in the last 20 years type thing. Apparently, apparently not. not. No. In 83, they were already saying, Maybe yeah, they you were just getting in inner tubes flights. and just flashing across with flip flops and, a, you know, towing an esky. Yeah. Who knows? Absolutely. So, um, apparently, uh, yeah, Sorry. absolutely. Apparently, um, so, there was something called the Ozfest 100 um, radio station. I think it was Triple M, and this was uh, voted the 20th most Australian song of all time, which I think seems pretty low. I would have thought this is more like a higher, you know, don't you think? Like the 20th most Australian song of all time? I mean, that's pretty high when you think about, as you say, this is not a... I mean, I think this band had fans, like, at the time, but, yeah, they're not one of the, the, the... Aussie bands were big in the 80s, like, you know, in Australia and overseas, and it's not... They're not the first one that you think of. No. Like, if you think of all the, you know, like, Men at Work, Friggin', yep. you know, the Divinals. True. People who were kicking goals overseas, uh, bloody... Ice House. Australian great great Southern Lands. Yeah, very... all, the, all the other one-hit wonders, bloody... Uh, solid rock, you know, all these other kind of things that still get endlessly played on the radio. I'd say 20 is pretty pretty high. That's true, actually. Yeah, but, pro- yeah. I, I probably... It's I, such a particularly Aussie song, though. It, it is, really is. It's absolutely. about one individual country's experience at war. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think... Um, it's also point, depressing as shit. If you've never heard it, it's a very... It is very depressing. ...unhappy song. <laughs> yeah, look, and, and I think, you know, it does really paint an image of war and what it must be like to be a young person going to war. And also PTSD. It's about coming oh, back yeah. from war and then your life's basically completely yeah. fucked up. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. A, and it paints Fortunately, that, we fixed that problem and it doesn't happen anymore so yeah yeah and it certainly look for me tom it paints that picture well but it doesn't paint that picture as well as another classic wartime song um captain jack by german euro dance artist captain jack um <laughs> that came out a little bit later yeah it came out in 98 but i think the sentiment is still the same about you know what it must be like being a young person going to a boot camp training for war getting prepared you know not really knowing what faces you in the immediate future um and you know um hey oh captain jack bring me back to the rainbow track at, <laughs> with 180 bpms i think is, is sort of what people probably experience in vietnam um there was a lot of eurodance there was a lot of eurodance they often don't put that on the soundtracks of yes these, you know these Definitely. famous platoon yeah, you know, apocalypse now. Yeah, regrettable lack of Eurodance. Yep. in the yep. jungle. Oh, absolutely. And Captain Jack for me personally. Never get off the boat. <laughs> definitely. Know. Or That's you what... won't be able to hear this banging dance beat anymore. Yeah, our speakers are only so loud. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. But um, no, I think for me that's that's the ultimate sort of war song, Captain Jack, um, <laughs> as a as a military trainer. Um, he what, was very, what uniforms were they wearing uh, look, Captain Jack the, the thing about Captain Jack Tom is that he, you know a lot of people talk about the, the machoism in you know being you know serving in, in the Australian defense, yeah military yeah. culture Australian defense force or internationally you know the you know sort of but in this video clip it's predominantly women so I think Captain Jack was sort of saying look, you know women can go to fight at war too sure. I'm an very equal opportunity very progressive um, 
you know, and look, the the men, they had there was the men training camp in the Captain Jack. Um, they were wearing their their white t-shirts, their military white t-shirts and khakis. Um, the women were doing the same, um, and obviously Captain Jack likes to treat everyone the same. So the women weren't wearing bras because men don't wear bras. Um, their tops, you know, had got a bit ripped up because when you're in war, that, that could happen. You know, it's, you know your, your, your T-shirt gets caught on something, sure. it's torn. So, sure. you know, the women in the Captain Jack video, they've got ripped white T-shirts that are sort of tied together, no bras. And Captain Jack is saying, look, when you fight, it's not going to be all sunshine. It might rain sometimes. So, sure. He spraying them with a hose, um, getting to get them prepared for to the, get them know, prepared intense for war. tropical to, downpour exactly. that they might experience. Exactly you know, right. And, look, and I know some, some skeptics or some <laughs> cynics would say, "So he's just basically doing a wet t-shirt competition <laughs> in a music video." But no, you're wrong. He's training people for war. <laughs> Captain Jack is getting these young women ready for war. And ready for the horrors that they might face. In, in, and I think he's done a really good job. I can't argue. Um, and that's a great song. And look, unfortunately for Red Gum, you know, they've got a good song <laughs> in I Was Only 19, but it's just not a great song compared to <laughs> Captain Jack. Um, so look, that's all I'm saying about that. Um, if you disagree, that's fine. I think it's, it's a healthy discussion. No, I it's can't a healthy argue discussion. Damn um, indictment of the. 70s military as it opposed today yeah exactly clearly we've come a long way we have come a very long way um captain jack was leading the way back in in 1998 i believe so red gum um monthly listeners on spotify um again it's the dad factor yep i'd say three million 181,000. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, that's Australia. That's it. Because true. no one outside of Australia would be listening to this. That's so true. it's Aussie dads only. That's right. But Discogs, um, how much are you going to pay for Ooh, this? There'd be less of these press. Yeah. Maybe 50 cents? 93 cents. Okay. That's, that's the highest, the highest, so, highest far. so far. Absolutely. So um, get, a, get a copy of that. Go on to Discogs, get a copy, give it to your dad for Christmas. He'd like it. While you're on there, pick up a copy of the... Um, Captain Jack um, <laughs> CD single. I and, don't think that made it to vinyl. Yeah, and, and don't forget the Shithouse 2005 hip-hop cover of I Was Only 19 <laughs> from The Herd. Uh, I think it was included on Triple okay, Games. No. Now that's what I call White Boy Rap 23 Disc <laughs> Collection, which was the second that had come out uh, that year. And yeah, nothing communicates getting your legs blown off by a landmine <laughs> in tropical jungle in a futile, victory-less 50-year-old war like three Caucasian guys who dropped out of uni to fulfill their lifelong dream of having dreadlocks. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it, look, I'm sure it holds up super well and, you know, even better than it was at the time. Lyrics, one last highlight. Uh, I think this, this was a bit weird, uh, you know, talking about how, you know, he sort of came from a military family and it says, and the Anzac legends didn't mention mud and blood and tears. You know, which is sort of supposed to, you know, show how, you know, <clears throat> they went off to war not knowing how horrible it was going to be. I always thought that would be unfair because we were taught about the Anzacs a lot and not in a sort of American-style way. Like, they weren't really glorified particularly. Like, I don't think anybody was, like, like was never really portrayed as anything other than a complete nightmare shit show that should never have happened. Mm. I mean, 50,000 Bogans go to Turkey every year so they can watch Shane Warne saluting some graves but I don't think anyone was under the illusion that getting shot at in a hole at the bottom of a giant hill that nobody ever got to the top of was like 
totally sick way to spend three months or however long they were there before they had to all run away whoever was left you know it wasn't it was probably the in the the history of national military celebrations the Anzacs would have to be at the bottom in terms of glorification so yeah I thought that was a bit unfair on the old Anzacs well I think when it says the Anzac legends didn't mention mud and blood and tears I think the Anzac legend only mentions yeah that was i mean because there's not much else to me not much else to mention not victory certainly yeah they got out of the boat um a lot of people got shot and a lot of people died and then they went away like yeah 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 i mean in some ways the australian involvement in vietnam was more glorified because we actually you know were fairly successful by comparison to the americans yeah absolutely anyway um yeah Sure, let's move on. Sorry, let's move that's, on. Enough. No, no. that's enough time in the jungle pondering <laughs> what remains of our legs. Let's get out of there and let's move somewhere um, a little bit more uplifting, I think. Um, <laughs> Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. <laughs> that's a gear change between those two songs. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to say it now. This gets me the pumped the fuck up. <laughs> this is... A power oh, ballad. Look, turn this around, is, bright this eyes. Is, this you're is not, a top tier power ballad. To, you don't have to convince me. Absolutely. Now this was um, this was written by uh, Jim Steinman, who also wrote "I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That," oh, which has Meatloaf. exactly the same vibe too. Definitely. Man. So this that guy knows a power ballad. He Clearly, knows, he does. He knows how to do a really long song that's just real powerful. It um, does with lyrics that flirt the line between insane and completely <laughs> mental <laughs> yeah but absolutely. they get you amped I can't, I'm not arguing with that oh absolutely now um, for me the real highlight of this song is the completely batshit crazy <laughs> music video it's like a drug nightmare like it's like I don't it it's completely insane it so is, I, it is must have been one of the first videos certainly one of the first videos I've ever seen this is in 83 with the full 80s bingo card visual you know thing of billowing curtains blue light doves smoke fog fans mirrors the whole top gun sex scene type shenanigans you know like it's it's got all of that and more oh i've uh just when i watched the video (laughs) i've I've got the same as you tom but i made a few notes as well Uh, a lot of wind chimes Uh, um a boy with laser eyes I forgot lasers. Sorry, that's on the bingo card too. Ninjas. Ninjas. (laughs) A dinner party. Fencing. People were fencing. Okay. Um, Gay bikers, like the sort of leather clad. Ah, yes. uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, American football players, for no apparent reason. Bonnie Tyler's not even American. I didn't even absorb all of this somehow. Yep. A whole room full of boys with glowing eyes (laughs) and one who can fly. Um... (laughs) A lot of interpretive dance and a wind machine working fucking double time and a half. That that wind machine was going ape shit in this. Um, but yeah, the video clip's fantastic. I think the song's pretty good. Um, Bonnie Tyler, she's a bit of a sort of she's she's a power ballad. She's got a her her voice is um it's it's rough. It's got it's like a bit of a Tina Turner yeah. sort of shreddy sort of. Yeah. She could be in a black metal band. It's but got she's a touch just, of the smoker about it. Absolutely it's, right. It's nice though. It works in this song. If she had a sort of sugary voice, it would be just 
too much. Like she kind of cuts it a bit with that. Yeah, no, this is sort of yeah. This is powerful. Um, this is off an album called Faster Than the Speed of Night. Do you like that? <laughs> sure. It's like faster than the speed of light, <laughs> but she's replaced light with night. Makes no fucking sense, but I like it. It fits perfectly with this song because this song also is constantly about the difference between light and dark. Yeah. But it seems fairly confused about which one of them is supposed to be the good one or the bad one. Yeah. Like it's just all over the freaking shop, as in the title of that. Which Absolutely. implies that not only does light have a speed, but light, the absence of, has a speed as well. Yeah, it doesn't And make... that you can exceed it, unlike oh, yeah. the speed of light. So uh, the speed of night is very slow, yeah. where you're going fucking fast. And again, doesn't say whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just what's happening. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're in a, uh, a v- uh, convertible, it's 1983, and you're playing this song, you will be going fast if mm, it's night time. And convertible would be pink, and it would be a Cadillac. Absolutely. Pedal to the metal. I mean, it's, this is one of those songs where you think you're doing 65, <laughs> this comes on, you look at the speedometer, you're doing 180, That's and true. there's eight cops behind you, and they pull you over, and you just go... And it's suddenly night time. Yeah, it's know. night time. What were you doing? I was listening to Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh, on your way then, sir. Don't worry about it. We've all been there. Sure. Um, so yeah, great. This sold six million copies worldwide. Oh, that does not surprise me. No. In fact, more I would have thought even. Absolutely, and that's going to explain the Discogs price, um, Tom, of uh. forty nine cents. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Just because there's so many there's of them, so many, they're everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely everywhere. Um, but Bonnie Tyler, what do you think? Spotify monthly listeners. Yeah. I. This is confusing me a bit because I. Should have Googled this, but I can't. Did Bonnie Tyler go on to sing in Fleetwood Mac, or am I just getting her mixed up with Stevie Nicks? I think you're getting her mixed up with Stevie Nicks. I think I am. They both looked fairly similar for a while there. Yeah, given that, I'm going to say if 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 she was merely Bonnie Tyler, I'm going to say ten million. Well, look, not too far off. Look, six at six point four. Okay, so that's pretty yep. good. Look, less um, than Culture Club though. Uh, Culture Club had four point. Oh, okay, so more yeah. than Culture Club. Yeah, that seems about right. So sandwiched nicely between Boy George and a pedophile, basically <laughs> in terms of the monthly listeners, which is where you want to be, I think, at all times. Um, so that's pretty good. This is number one in Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, Norway, South Africa, UK. And the USA. Oh, wow. I mean, that's all your major food yep. groups there, isn't it? Absolutely. No, this is a good one. Um, play it loud. Buy a copy. Um, there should be a lot on Discogs. There's <laughs> six million copies out there. Even if half of those have ended up in landfill, there's still three million <laughs> copies floating around. So get one. It's good. And Bonnie Tyler also went on to do um, Holding Out for a Hero off the Footloose uh, soundtrack. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's another banger. It's, it is. It's almost... Like the same song, just continued. I'm not, I'm not, but she clearly she was onto a winning formula, and I give her credit for that. Absolutely, no, it's fantastic. So, six weeks there. Um, cool, all right. Oh, sorry, lyrics. Oh, sorry, yes. Um, I give her, I didn't have to look this up, so I'll give her credit for because these lyrics are all over the effing shop. I give her credit for that because I still can remember it 40 years later, but the line, living in a powder keg and giving up sparks, <laughs> even by the standards of 80s music, might possibly create too much of a sense of needing a root. <laughs> I mean, you know, we've all had our thumb hovering over the DUI button some nights, but possibly an instantaneous death from a dynamite explosion is just too much urgency. 
you know, but that said, you know, it's still more dramatic than like Ariana Grande saying, you know, fuck me 87 times, like I'm a washing machine full of hot dogs or whatever her new single is called. Like, you know, at least they had a sense of drama, is what oh, I'm saying. You know, at it's least they used a vague kind of metaphor for being so horny that it feels like you might literally dynamite yourself into absolutely. a fiery burst. Living in a power <laughs> kit. It's, it's a great lyric. It's a great song. It is powerful. It is dramatic. Very correct. A lot of drama here. Sorry, that's enough for me. Bonnie I Tyler. I probably should have edited that a bit. But please, let's move on. Not at all. Quickly, at let's all. leave the scene of the accident. Let's move on. Um, up next is Irene Cara. Um, sorry, Irene Cara. Apologies. Um, with the song Flashdance. What a feeling. Oh. Off the Flashdance soundtrack. <laughs> um, if you remember... You may remember, Tom, way, way back we when we were talking about, about um, Gloria, we said that's on the Flashdance soundtrack. Sure. This also is on the Flashdance soundtrack. At least this one's named after the main character in the film, who is, of course, called Flashdance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gary Flashdance <laughs> is the lead character of this film. What a feeling. Um, so Flashdance, according to my research, apparently it was the third biggest grossing film of 1983. Wow. Um, so really big. Um, and if you've not seen it, it's it's the timeless story of a, of a woman who wants to be a ballet dancer um, but works as a welder during a day, uh, during the day, sorry. Yep, so, and she's a sensual dancer at night. And by sensual, I mean um, it's erotic dancing with her clothes on at a steakhouse. Oh, so that's the grand sort of, tradition of movie strippers who keep all their clothes on. Absolutely, dancing because absolutely. That's what guys want when they go so, to strip clubs. Definitely, but she's at a steakhouse. So it's sort of, I don't know. I don't know why they had an erotic <laughs> dancing at a steakhouse. So it's either a shithouse strip club that also serves steak. Or the world's raunchiest, just regular bistro st- exactly. that also has borderline softcore pornography going on on stage. Okay. For sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, I guess it's sort of it, it, it's a film of juxtaposition, really, isn't it? She's a welder by day, a dancer at night. Sure. And then the dancing that she does is erotic, which is once again what juxtaposed with the, the ballet <laughs> that she wants to do. Ah, so, yes. so there's a lot of that happening. I guess it's sort of a story about um, never giving up on your dreams. Um, <laughs> and that's really emphasized in the song, What a Feeling. Um, yeah. What a feeling. True. So it's a great song. Um, look, it's a great soundtrack. If you want to pick that up, I don't know how much what that else, is. On what Discord. else is on it? Well, Tom, there's obviously Gloria that we've talked about before, sure. um, which is um, if you're a hockey fan, get or your a copy name's of that. Gloria. Or your You'd name's be Gloria. Get involved with the that. Fuck up. Absolutely. There's this one, Flashdance. What a feeling. And there's also Maniac um, by Michael Sembello. Oh my god, I He's thought maniac, that was actually maniac the same song. Maniac on Jesus. the floor. Clearly, I'm not big on my. No, Maniac, Maniac's pretty. another banger. That one's good. Oh, I think um, that was the same song. Yeah, Jeez. no, that one's that one's pretty reason. pretty rad. Um, <laughs> but the, the interesting thing about Maniac is that um, it's in Flashdance. He'd apparently originally written that song for a horror film. Oh, okay. Um, the lyrics of which were, "He's a maniac, maniac. That's for sure. He'll kill your cat and nail it to your door." Oh, so he penned this. Sweet. So this is he, he penned the lyrics to this song, um, which is weird and then went to the film studio and they went oh no we want it for this dancing one now and he's like ah oh, fuck it what about if i i'll keep the maniac bit and i'll just change it to maniac on the floor 
yeah, fuck it, whatever that'll do. <laughs> and look, it works. It's a big hit. I enjoy Maniac as well. So there's three songs on that soundtrack that are great. There's probably others as well, sure. um, no doubt. But um, yeah, so this was number one. Canada, Denmark, France, Italy, Japan, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland, Spain, and the US. So basically everywhere. Well, that was an incredibly popular film, like, as you said. Yep. Uh, just to get into the movie for a second, it was written by Joe Esterhaus, who's a super classy writer who's aged extremely well. <laughs> uh, he also wrote, just to give you an example, he also wrote Basic Instinct, Jade, which is like Basic Instinct if it was less classy, Sliver, which makes Jade look like David Mamet, Basic Instinct 2, Risk Addiction, which makes Sliver look like Jane Austen, and Showgirls, which makes Basic Instinct 2 look like the Queen of England eating a golden scone on top of Buckingham Palace. His first movie was an early Stallone vehicle called Fist, that's F, full stop, I, full stop, S, full stop, T, which I can only assume was an aspirational documentary about what he was planning to do to Hollywood over the course of his career. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately that career ended about the same time that he spent a year hanging out with Mel Gibson in order to work on a film about Jews. That's a real thing. (laughs) Apparently Gibson was too racist, sexist and homophobic for the guy who wrote The Lesbian Relationship at the Heart of Showgirls, which includes dialogue like, What do you like? I like nice tits. I always have. How about you? I like having nice tits, which is what Joe imagines that lesbians sound like while eating in a public food court at midday, uh, which is where that scene takes place. So, yes, you know, that's, that's a bit, bit about the author of Flashdance there. But yeah. Oh, look, I'm a fan of all of those films on that list. <laughs> um, especially hey. ba- Basic Instinct 2 Risk Addiction um, <laughs> is certainly my favourite. But, uh, look, um, is this a classier film than Showgirls? I guess it is. You've, you've suggested it's that it a is. a more refrained film than Showgirls yeah. in the sense that the main actress does not scream every single one of her lines yeah. <laughs> as Definitely. though somebody has just poked her in the back with something fairly sharp. But I mean, I you know, you can't argue with what works. All of those films were very successful. Oh, they were very successful. Except perhaps the Mel Gibson one about Jews, which no. I'm looking forward to when it comes out. Absolutely. And the thing about um, Joe Esterhouse as well is I believe that for Showgirls, he just was like, give me some insane sum of money. And they were like, you betcha. Like, well, I mean, he, you can't, like he'd just been the climbing up a period pyramid yep. of, you know, racy, trashy films, you know. Yep. I mean, Basic Instinct isn't classy, but that was a massive success, you know, for an R-rated sort of film where, you know, people get naked, where you're supposed to find um, fucking what's-his-face attractive. Yeah. (laughs) The idea that you might want to see that guy having sex with anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And look, the the thing about Flashdance is as well, obviously it's a a very good script um, written by a very good script writer. Uh, But it has the powerful songs to push it over the line. It does. Showgirls, it needed more songs. (laughs) When did Showgirls come out? 1997-ish? Oh, God. Something like that. Yes, um, late 90s. Yeah, maybe a few uh, Cotton Eye Joe. I think Cotton it's probably Joe, around some Labouche, perhaps. Some Labouche, yep. You get Labouche and um, Cotton Eye right Joe. Right in the night, soundtrack. possibly. Yep. Some Absolutely. Jam spoon. Um, I'm horny, horny, I'm horny, horny, horny. Watch out for the Hitman yep. by AB Logic. <laughs> like, Alice yeah. DJ. What um, <laughs> he needed was less tits, more Eurodance. Absolutely right. That, that was the smart part about Flashdance. Was yeah. it got the songs in there? It yes. hit you with the emotion of the script. <laughs> But then it still left you, you know, feeling good about the journey 
because of the song. So yes. you, you laughed, you <laughs> cried, you know, you had you danced effectively. We were showgirls. Well, hey, you were crying, you were laughing. Three film of the year, like you can't argue with that. Absolutely right. I'm pretty sure Showgirls was number three film of the year. I'm not going to look that up. I assume it was. Oh look, I assume it was as well. <laughs> it was very successful. Um, people still love it to this day. So look. That's good. Um, Irene, Cara, um, 3.3 million monthly listeners on Discogs. That's a lot. Because I, ca- I couldn't tell you another fucking thing about her apart people, from this song. I know people who still put Flashdance on their, especially ladies who put Flashdance on their hungover movie watch list along with Dirty yeah. Dancing, um, Footloose. And everything Patrick Swayze's ever done. So, yep. you know, it's still up there. Like, it's still up there with trashy dance classics. So I'm sure there's people still rocking this soundtrack somewhere. Oh, absolutely. And there's still... Look, I'm still... There's young people everywhere that are, you know, aspiring, you know, ballerinas that, <laughs> uh, you know, well during the day and dance at a steakhouse at night. So <laughs> sure. they'd still be playing this on a daily basis because this is sort of, I guess, um, you know, the pathway to their dreams. So that's good. Anyway, great song. Um, Love that one. Love everything about the movie and the soundtrack. Uh, One lyrical thing. She does assert, all fairly straightforward, this one, just about taking your passion and making it happen, how you can dance right through your life. But she does also mention that if you do those things, that pictures will come alive. And, you know, I'm a fairly average dancer, but the idea that taking passion and making it happen or dancing a lot is going to make pictures come alive is a bit strong unless taking passion means like taking a lot of mushrooms and making it happen means going to an art gallery but you know I have heard genuinely that that's a good time but you know (laughs) I've yet to do it myself but while I do it I'll try and dance right through my life while I'm also (laughs) in the art gallery anyway let's move on there were words to live by I still dance through my life Uh, I think it's worked for me perfectly viable Absolutely. Um, all right. Up next um, for eight weeks. Um, this one sucks shit, Tom. I'm just going to call it out now. Yeah. It's, it's pretty bad. Oh um, everything about this annoys me. The person's, <laughs> um, you know, fake, you know, their pseudonym, um, nom de plume, I guess <laughs> as I'd say in French. Yes. Um, so this is ostentatious. All right, that sucks already. It was a for people who were old or not from Australia. That was an '80s stand-up comedian who bizarrely is still touring around. But yeah, he was a sort of mulleted, lanky, bogan kind of Aussie stand-up guy from this era. Yep. Um, and believe me, in 1983 in Australia, the stand-up comedy competition was pretty fucking thin. So yeah, that explains this probably. Yeah. So this is this is called Australiana. Um, it's not a song. It's just what effectively a stand-up comedy bit, you'd say. Yes, so, kind of thing. Which apparently, as you said, he didn't even write. No, <laughs> so he didn't write this. He didn't, he didn't write this himself. <laughs> um, look, he's been performing it literally for thirty years, but it's not even. He's been dining him. out on this for the best part of four decades. He didn't write it. Um, it was written by Billy Birmingham, who people may know as the Twelfth Man. Yes. So this, uh, is, yes. which is another Australian, um, once again, he he isn't a musician, but would do sort of like a parody, like a sports commentary, a sports comedy parody, parody sort of thing. Yeah, yep. like kind of patter. They're not. It's not even stand up comedy, no. really. It's just like a sort of weird parody thing. But yep. yes, he sports was parody, very, very popular, popular in Australia, very very successful. And what I like about Billy Birmingham is that he wrote this uh, mm-hmm. Australiana when. This is fucking awful, <laughs> but I've done the work and I want to monetize this. I've yeah. put the effort in. 
I've got to get some cash off the back of this, otherwise it's a waste of time. But I don't want to be associated with this <laughs> at all. So I'm going to give it to this ostentatious guy. He can perform it, and I'm still going to get the money um, being, you know, the person. I mean, that it's wrote not it. stupid. Like to no. get it. I mean, this was <laughs> this was in the number one for eight weeks. Eight weeks. So eight weeks. In fact, yeah, it sold two hundred thousand copies in Australia, which purportedly it's still the number one selling. Um, single by an Australian artist. Apparently, wow. this is this is what I read on this is what I read on Surely his there must website. Be some qualifying <laughs> thing for that. Someone, so, please so, God, let someone yeah. have beaten that. So it also just for people, something else. Yeah, Two hundred thousand copies is not that many by no. international standards for you know so a he, number one that's on the charts for eight weeks. Yeah. But so he's it's claiming a lot for Australia. Yeah. You know, that's like a tenth of the population. Uh, yeah. No, it's not. It's one <laughs> percent. Like, that's still too many. But in 1983, still, I don't know. yes, but it's yeah. still too many. So I think he's claiming that yeah, like this is the highest selling Australian single of all time in Australia. Whether that's, I'll, I'll have to fact check that. We can come back to this next week if we need to. But uh, two hundred thousand copies. Billy Birmingham wrote this. Good on him for getting right. the cash and not having to deal with it. Let's move um, away. Yeah, let's move away real quick. But just be just before we do, um, I just want to give the audience just a small taster of what this actually is because people might be like what is is a stand-up comedy so basically it's just imagine you've got imagine your mother's sister um so your auntie got remarried to a guy and you see him at a barbecue once he's like your step uncle that you see once a year at like a christmas thing Mm -hmm. and he loves a shit Australian pun. Yep, and he's got a bad sense of humour. A bad sense of humour. And he won't show Imagine he sort of stuck together (laughs) 50 of those real (laughs) shit puns, then this is effectively what this is. If you're not Australian, these are mostly, or even if you are, because half of it doesn't make any fucking sense, they're mostly place names, but um, with just regular bits of Australiana mixed in, hence the name Australiana, which is what the song's actually called. So... So we'll just start off. So my mate Boomerang. So Boomerang. My mate Boomerang will will walla be there like a wallaby, like a yep. like a, an animal. And also not the name of a person. No, walla, walla isn't someone's name. But Veggie sure. might come. So Veggie might. And assuming you've got a friend called Veggie. Yep. And let walla. let's go, Anna. Because Goanna's... Congratulations, though. Four puns in and he's yeah. found an actual name of a person. Absolutely. The other three aren't names, but sure. So he's got a strike rate of one for four yeah. at the moment. So it's just that for five minutes, <laughs> effectively. <laughs> um, if His you watch... strike rate does not improve, by the way, no. at coming up with names people actually fucking have. If you watch the music video on YouTube, about three lines in, um, the, the, the music video is actually just the sort of live performance with a few... Uh... Like, light, like So there'll be sequences of him sitting on the camera Couch, like doing stuff that relates to the lyrics oh, okay. to the song. Well, so they couldn't even be asked staging a party for this to take place. Well, they, they have, yeah. Oh, okay. sta- yeah. Right. So there's sort so of like live footage sort of mixed, mixed in with, with, mixed of, in with yeah. that. Um, but yeah, so about three lines in, there's audible groans from the audience. <laughs> so you listen to this on YouTube and the people are just going like, oh, fucking hell. And 
So you know that it's no good. And then by the end, I think the audience just have like Stockholm Syndrome. They're just there going, <laughs> like they're sort of, yeah. they're, they're forced into this situation. They're just laughing along, hoping that, you know, it'll be over soon and they can leave. Puns, because man, puns. It's what can I pretty you? bad. And it's sort of, and the fact that it sold 200,000 copies and, you, and it was number one for eight weeks, you know, was, was there a recession in 1983? Like... Was acid dropped but into the water? On. What's going on? Were there what? some sort of stimulus package where you had to spend your money on an Australian-produced <laughs> comedy single? So people were like, fuck it, this is the only one I can buy with this free voucher from Brashes or something. Because a lot of people bought this. Uh, because this is, well, the truth is, even more people, because what happened, we're skipping ahead here, mm. because that was the number one for eight weeks. Then what happened? Oh, Flashdance came back. For seven weeks. So and clearly people... After that dog shit felt like dancing for their fucking lives again for seven more weeks. And then Ostentatious came back again. For so, how much? <laughs> I think that's eight weeks total, I think, Tom. So I think it was a couple of weeks. Oh, for Ostentatious. Okay. Six yeah. more weeks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. So <laughs> people don't talk about the Irene Carr Ostentatious Battle of 83. It's long forgotten, but people forget <laughs> that for a period of time, Irina Carr number one, then it's ostentatious. Back to Irina Carr. Yeah. What's it going to be next? Ostentatious again. So, you know, but this, this was people a talking point for 83. Closely, yeah. Absolutely. And I sort of think if this was a, was a cultural vacuum in 83 for people to want to buy this song, but, you know, the biggest film of the year was Return of the Jedi. So, you know, people, people sure. didn't have to spend their money on this unless they were forced to through a stimulus package where you could only spend the money that you were given on a comedy single. But, so I don't know. People could go and watch Return of the Jedi. They could watch Flash Dance, as we already talked about. Trading Places. Uh, Mr. Mum was another big one of that year. Really? Uh, yeah, okay. which is a, a film where it was a novelty for someone to be a stay-at-home dad. I oh, think that's okay. The, my, I think Michael Keaton. I think that's the, basically the premise. He's a man... But he's staying at home to look after his oh kids. It's God. Mr. Mum. So is that this, was such that a must novelty. Have been science fiction along Absol- with absolutely. Return of the Jedi. Absolutely. So look, I don't know what was going on with this. It's pretty bad. Um, but what I will say is that look, I guess when you look at the background of, of Ostentatious himself, like his his father was a Holocaust survivor, <laughs> so obviously, you know, he's had to <laughs> flee his his home in Europe. His father moved to America for a better life. Um, obviously, you know, looking at the, the trauma of what he had to survive in Europe going through the Holocaust, moving to America, you know, try to set up a life there. I don't know what happened, but maybe it wasn't everything he'd hoped to. Moved out to Australia, you know, to start a new life here. And he lived here. He had uh, his son, um, Ostentatious, obviously isn't his real name. It's Gary Tatious. <laughs> no, no, I'm not sure. Sorry, stolen a Stuart <laughs> Lee no, joke there. No. So, um, That's, but, no one's got the copyright on that joke. <laughs> but, uh, but so anyway, so yeah, so he's, he's come out here, you know, he's, he's raised a family and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're sort of like, you just want the best for your kids. You know, you, you want to give them the best opportunity that you can Ostentatious's father has done that and then his son has rewarded him by doing a novelty single which is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life and then touring off the back of it for 30 subsequent years absolutely and and look I'm not saying that this song is worse than the Holocaust I'm not saying that at all but I'd be very interested to know from Ostentatious's dad (laughs) what affected him more what was worse in his life was it the the Holocaust Or was it, you know, knowing that his son had released this? What Mm. was more traumatic for him? (laughs) Unfortunately, the dad's passed away, so we'll never know. But, you know, 
Both very traumatic. Clearly, clinics. yes, as as they are for the listener as well, hearing about either of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, like lyrically wise, you've already covered it. You know, the only line I could remember, I heard this on volunteer radio when I was about 10 years old. The only line I remember was, she's seen a cockatoo because, you know, it had the word cock in it. You know, weirdly, you'd think I would have remembered Launceston, which is in there, again, doesn't make any sense, but that's the town I fucking grew up in, so maybe I just blanked it out with PTSD. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, like, I'd kind of put this up, I'd, I'd put, not, not compare, like, as a comparison, I'd put this next to, like, I've Been Everywhere Man by Johnny Cash, which is basically just a long list of place names that sort of half rhyme. I mean, on the one hand, this theoretically has jokes in, but A, this is not even a fucking song, and B, they're not really jokes, they're fucking puns, so I'm pretty sure Johnny Cash has the edge over Ostentatious in terms of best musician. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, Look, I'll never listen to this ever again for the rest of my life. Please, let's Um, move on quickly. Because the good thing about the IGAs when you're in there getting eggs is they don't (laughs) play this sort of shit. They'll play a lot of Phil Collins, and I will stay in the supermarket longer than I need to to listen to Phil Collins. Collins, but nobody on any radio station anywhere on the planet is saying, let's put that ostentatious song on nowhere. Um, His Spotify monthly listeners is 7,900, which is way less than everyone else, but still more than I would expect. That's way too many. Sorry. Way too many. And this will cost you $2 on Discogs, so don't even bother going on there. That's way too much. Yeah, man. I suppose finding an old comedy single on vinyl would be a bit tougher than, yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to buy every copy on Discogs and (laughs) smash them just so there's less out in the world. So definitely. Um, All right, cool. Up next, um, so after the Irene Carr... uh, ostentatious <laughs> battle of 83 oh, someone said one. we need to go and buy some new songs let's get something else to number one and they did um, Culture Club's back ah yes I mean they were a force to be reckoned with at this they time were. for a bunch of weirdos from Britain like yep. yeah and this is Karma Chameleon um, I'm going to say this one's a lot better than do you really want to hurt me? It's definitely catchier. I can't yep. argue with that. Like, yep. Even if you don't even know. I remember sort of singing along to that chorus before I even knew what the word karma meant. Yep. Because it's just catchy as shit. Like, you know, please. Absolutely. Look, I, we've, we've already spoken a fair bit about the culture club. Um, Boy yes. George beating some of the metal chain, etc. Um, look, yeah... Still, once again, this has got a bit of harmonica in it, um, which uh, never goes astray. I think in a song, you don't see that that a lot. Good Um, call. That was an 80s touch. Absolutely right. Nothing wrong with that. Um, The band performed this on the A-Team, if you remember. (laughs) Oh, really? Actually in the show. Wow. Yeah, so I checked this out on YouTube. Boy George guest starred in an episode of the A-Team where him and Mr. T (laughs) teamed up to bust some heads or whatever the fuck the A-Team used to do. Who knows? And um, then at the end, on the on the end credits, they performed Karma Chameleon. So it was good. I think it just shows how big the band were at the time. They, yeah, totally. They were, they were, you know, they were big in the UK in their home country, big here in Australia, also, big in the US, where they obviously went on to a pretty popular show, I think, at the time. So yeah, yeah they were huge. Definitely. Goes to show that um, also that Mr. T, you know, was less sort of, you know, judgmental than perhaps Arnie was, given that one of the first lines in one of Arnie's biggest early films, Commando, was that uh, Arnie <laughs> casually flipping through a Teen Beat magazine and saying they should just call him Girl George, it would be less confusing Absolutely. to his, clearly not his daughter. 
Now, what I'm always wondered <laughs> about with that line is, does that qualify as homophobic? Or is Arnie being, like, progressively out front about his insecurity toward, you know, gender identity? Like, why is Arnie confused about a gay dude with eyeliner on? Like, yeah. what part of that confuses him? Like, does Absolutely. that have anything to do with why he lives on top of a mountain in a log cabin with a 12-year-old girl that he's visibly not related to? <laughs> These are I all mean, very good questions. But clearly, Mr. T was just cool with it. He, he was, was cool with it, definitely. Um, and look, I always thought that Commando was a film about gender identity. Um, I think it is very core. Um, probably <laughs> um, blowing up a lot of things with rocket launches sure sure, but mostly about gender identity there is um, also a large part where he just goes around in his underpants you know which you know I'm not sure who that's for not straight guys no <laughs> Oh, look, I think the film's for everyone. I think yes. I, don't, I don't really know anyone that yeah. doesn't like eight. Uh, like Flashdance. Yeah, very much so. It's for everyone. So, for sure. So, look, um, Arnie, only Arnie or Alyssa Milano can answer the question as to sort of what... What, what, what confused them what about... What confused them about that... Boy or girl. Boy George. George, girl George. But, look, to be fair to Arnie in that film, I guess Boy George, you know, the androgynous look was part of the sort of the selling point, I guess, or the image, I guess, sure. of the band. But so. only visually, like, Boy yeah. George are uh, two males, generally, <laughs> names. <laughs> if they did just call him Girl George, surely that would present certain confusing yeah, way aspects. Way more confusing. Name-wise. But Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, look, moving on from the topic of Arnie blowing up people with a rocket launcher. Look, once again, he should have stuck with Lieutenant Lush, I think. <laughs> um, none of these issues. We That's wouldn't true. have had any of no them. No confusion at all. With Lieutenant Lush, he could have even appeared in Commando, possibly. Certainly, certainly. Um, And this song had a second life uh, when the United Australia Party created Palmer Chameleon, (laughs) if you can recall that. Um, Related to the Clive Palmer, not the Palmer song. No, Counter Meals, one of Australia's finest um, politicians. Although I don't think he's he's in at the moment. Unfortunately, didn't make, wasn't re-elected. At the last election, it poured about a trillion dollars, I think, into his election, but no one voted for him. But yeah, so Karma, uh, so Karma Chameleon, his name's Clive Palmer. He went Palmer rhymes with Karma. Let's do a Karma Chameleon knockoff called Palmer Chameleon. And um, what part of that suggested, let's make a video game? Yeah, too. oh yeah, they, they, then they made a video game about it um, called Clive Palmer Humble Meme Merchant. Featuring <laughs> Palmer Chameleon. Featuring Palmer Chameleon. I have to admit, that does kind of intrigue me. Much as he is just a big, weird pineapple of a human, like, I wouldn't mind having a crack at Humble Me Merchant with the soundtrack of oh, Palmer Chameleon. I love everything about this. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, love the fact that, yeah, then Culture Club just went, yeah, man, that's copyright infringement. And why wouldn't you? So, More politicians should rip off Boy George to make shit iPhone games as a way of trying to interest the electorate. You know, that's what I say. Oh, absolutely right. Absolutely. So, look, this is huge. Apparently, it sold 5 million copies worldwide, one of the biggest selling singles of this year. Wow. And this was number one in, uh, should I read? Yeah, let's see. It's Belgium, Canada, Finland, Ireland, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, South Africa, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, UK, USA. Lots. So, there you go. This was a hit. Um, I like this one a bit more than the other one. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. Still not changing my life. No. That's so many copies, though. That's that's getting up there with bloody turnaround bright eyes. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely right. Absolutely. So this one will cost you 23 cents on Discord. Oh, so, they yeah. would have printed a fuck ton of these. Absolutely. They were, I mean, they were so huge even by this time. Like, yeah. For sure. For sure. So, yeah, good stuff. 
Well done, Culture Club. Two number one singles in a calendar year. Yeah, man. It's no easy feat. All over the world, too. Not everyone does that, so well done, exactly. So up next... Oh, um, sorry. Oh, sorry, Tom. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Just going to say, uh, lyric-wise, I did think this was interesting. I always wondered why he said red, gold, and green repeatedly in the song. Oh, yeah. Somebody, Somebody on the internet... Reckons that these were these were the pre-rainbow gay code colours, but I have been oh, unable yeah. to find that anywhere. I think maybe that person's just making up. I think it might have just been, as you were mentioning before in the previous song, that sort of popular kind of Caribbean slash Pan-African slash yeah. reggae kind of vibe that used those colours, the sort of Rastafari slash African flag colours. And yep. I think they appear in the video clip for this. Some of the dancers are wearing yep. those colours, so it must be maybe some sort of political statement. Anyway, lyrically, has nothing to do with Africa. It's clearly about the fact that George was boning his drummer, but the drummer wasn't ready to be openly gay, so he struck George along like a bit of an arsehole, <laughs> which True. is a bit of a bummer, but he got a number one out of it. So, twings and roundabouts, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Cause, yeah, I can't song... remember the drummer's name, but, but they this, were yes. basically just together. Correct. Yeah. That's right. I, I do recall that, yeah, effectively the song is about what their, their failed relationship or the fact it's, that... It's just about someone who wishes their partner would be open about the yeah. fact that they're cooking up and keeps dumping them and you keep hooking up again and so yeah. forth you know like but i think even at this stage in 1983 boy george probably wasn't openly gay at this time i'm, I'm not sure i mean you could be I think it's like those 70s androgynous guys i think you could be like an open secret but yeah. like you wouldn't actually say it you know yeah. you know in, a, Absolutely. in public but yeah, yeah. Well, it was a simpler time where that would you know impact on your career whereas, totally you i mean know. even then still in 83 like looking the way he did it's yep. kind of a ballsy move oh, to just absolutely. go openly just go like you know i'm not gonna call myself gay george but like yep. if you can't figure this out then i don't know what to tell you, <laughs> you know, like absolutely. i'm not pretending anything you know absolutely absolutely so look um yeah Massive respect to Boy George for his uh, crazy lyrics. Sure. And, you know, <laughs> catchy-ass songs as well. Absolutely. All no, right, he's done well. That's enough about me doing my dubious <laughs> gender-related theories. Uh, it's all so confusing. Up next... Um, oh, this is a good one. Australian Crawl. Reckless. Brackets. Don't, don't be, be so. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Written by James Rain, somehow. Yeah, this is written by James Rain. Um, look, is this one of the better ones of this year? I would put this right up there. It's certainly the best of the Australian ones. Oh, other by, than far, Red Gum by far. And Ostentatious. I truly, I think this might be one of the best Aussie songs of the whole 80s. Yep. Like, it's just a stone cold classic. I heard some millennials on Triple J once who covered this say, like, you know, these people who were, wouldn't even have been born when this came out, but like, I can't believe that was, this was written by that guy off breakfast TV, you know, like <laughs> James Rain went on to be this daytime TV kind of blonk who sort of, you know, laughs his way through segments about a new kind of mop that'll get your floor super clean. But man, he kicked fucking ass in the eighties yeah. and he, not only did he kick ass, but he wrote fucking rad lyrics he wrote catchy songs and he sang in a really interesting way. Like he had this weird vocal delivery that sort of obscured his really good lyrics. Like uh, particularly an example of this is in the song People, which they performed on Countdown once against the backdrop of Beach Balls mm. because that's what the set designer thought the song was called because that's what it sounds like. The chorus, when he's saying People, it sounds like he's saying Beach Balls. It, he's just used this weird vocal delivery. Even now, I know a shit ton of people 
who could sing reckless like the tune, but if you actually tried to get them to do any of the verses, they would struggle to get through what he's actually saying. Yeah. Which is a pity because they're very good lyrics. Like they're very straightforward, evocative kind of clever lyrics. I think the lyrics are very good, and I, I think that um, you're correct that his the way that he sings, and I think even um, probably in the '90s when I would watch, uh, you'd watch like you know those sketch comedy shows, and yeah. if they do a if they do a piss take of like James Rain, they'd always do this like like you can't understand what he's yeah, that was, that sort of was the, the joke, joke. Yeah. that he's he's very difficult to understand. Um, but look, it, it is a unique delivery style, and I think you're right in the sense that it's. Yeah, great lyrics that are hidden by his delivery, but also it does create a little bit of um, the unknowing of exactly what the lyrics are and also yeah. what the song's about. A lot Weirdly, of people probably adds a bit of mystery to it. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I think I've heard him say that the song's just sort of, um, you know, it's kind of that. It gives you that feeling of maybe loneliness or a sort of yeah. It's not... it's compared to a lot of the songs on this list, it's ambivalent. Like yep. he's talking about meeting his partner, but you're not 100% sure whether he's happy about it or not bad about it. It sounds like their relationship is kind of foundering a bit, which when you compare it to Dancing for Your Life or, you know, any of the other songs on this list, it's pretty... It, yeah, there's a bit of ambiguousness. And when you throw in his weird vocal delivery as well, it gives it mm. this... Also, Absolutely. on top of that, he used to look like the chesty Bonds guy with a mullet, and I can only imagine how much rural pub action he would have got driving around Australia in the Tarago in 1983. Like, he Absolutely. must have just been, you know, <laughs> the local version of, you know, whichever Garth Brooks, you know, in his hottest Definitely. days or whatever. You know, there, there's a real kind of rural authenticity to a lot of this stuff. Absolutely. Australian stuff in the 80s which I think appealed to people overseas I think that's one of the reasons why people like men at work in America and Australian crawlers because they felt they had kind of authenticity to them sort yep. of you know absolutely so look you like this one I'm co-signing this um, and do if you, you like it? I do I do and if you don't trust me or Tom Triple M listeners in 2007 said this was the 37th best song of all time so those guys know what they're talking about. <laughs> so if you don't trust sure. us, trust them. Well, mate. they do play a life-threatening amount of classic rock, so definitely, sure. Definitely. If, they, if anyone would know, they would know. And this this song features a reference to Burke and Wills in the lyrics. It does, um, yes. Not a lot of Australian explorers get uh, <laughs> mentioned in any sort of songs. No. No Sturt, no, no Strizlecki. No, exactly. <laughs> which is that's Thanks, fine. Tony Martin reference is, I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> which is very disappointing. I, I think, you know, James Rain probably should have followed this up with a Strizlecki number, but he didn't <laughs> look. There's still time, I guess. And apparently, um, I have heard that the part of the song where James Rain says, the captain blows his whistle. Yeah. Apparently, that's one of the most, like, well-known or, like, most loved parts of the song apparently I don't know whether that's oh, because yeah. the bit that that's the bit that people can hear like a lot of it's a bit like not sure but he goes yeah. the captain blows his whistle so it's sort of maybe it's a bit clearer the um, first I've got that for my lyrics the first four lines are great it's yep. maybe down by the jetty landing where the pontoons bump and spray all the others reading standing as the manly ferry cuts its way to circular key yep. but he sings them in a kind of lower register like they're not, not so much mumble by by his standards fairly clearly delivered but when he yeah he sort of lifts up to when the captain blows his whistle which suits the line and you can sort of suddenly hear what he's talking about but yep. I love those first four lines because I've been on that exact spot on a weekday mm. morning and that's just exactly how it feels like it's just a really rad 
economical evocation of what it's like to be on Sydney Harbour on a weekday with the Manly Ferry coming in. And the whole song is just so unapologetically Australian yep. without also being a big dumb twat about it, like ostentatious or pretending that you went to Vietnam when it was actually <laughs> made 30 years ago. Yeah. Like, it was rad to hear on the radio in the 80s, that sort of stuff, like, just to kind of, yeah. Definitely. Um, we live in a mashup era, Tom. Um, if there's anyone out there that has a bit of free time in their hands and could put together a uh, James Rain in Blood uh, mashup, <laughs> taking classic Slayer song, Rain in Blood. Um, it's the song's actually Raining in Blood, but let's it take any song off Rain in Blood with James Rain's vocals on top. If you could put that together. Um, I will send you a, a, a money sure. order for, for $10. So. <laughs> well, I'd love If you're up to it, I'd love to oh, hear it. Oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so monthly listeners, 660,000. But this is, as you said, typically Australian. So yep. maybe it doesn't quite have the international pool, which is pretty good. A lot more than um, Red Gum and Ostentatious. A lot more than, yep. than that guy. Uh, Discogs Sorry uh, 660,000 Yeah that seems a lot more yeah, like it Yeah definitely But also And that's for Australian Crawl So you've got to remember That probably Yeah James Rain Had like solo stuff yep. as well So he probably has His own amount of listeners as well Discogs What are you going to pay? Ooh They were fairly big Back then I think I think they'd had Previous singles That were fairly Popular mm. And I know that they would have been a big touring band, so I'm going to say they would have printed a fair few of these. I'm going to say 30 cents. $3.27. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Well, there you go. Maybe Absolutely. just they didn't think it would be that big overseas or something. That's for sure. So that's a lot. That's the most so far. That's the Un- highest. Unless highest they've all far. been bought up by suburban dads and there aren't many. Yes, that's true. I Pete, mean, this, I swear if I had a copy of that, I wouldn't be selling it no. not on Discogs. Not I also have a feeling that this is probably one of those numbers that people put on a lot at house parties in the 80s when they're on the piss. <laughs> and vinyl records <laughs> yes. and alcohol do not mix yes. in any way, shape or form. About as well as CDs, yeah. Absolutely. In fact, you're right. No, you're right. Vinyl's even worse. Like, oh, man. You put, you put this seven inch on a turntable. <laughs> you've had a few beers. Davo comes over <laughs> Spills half of VB long neck on it, scratches the living shit out of it. it that will never play <laughs> no, ever again. No. So um, the kids don't know how good they have it these days with streaming services. But yeah, so I think a lot of these have probably been destroyed, um, which is why yeah. it's so expensive. But even that, That's $3 is, is a good price. So Okay, um, cool. one more thing. I was just going to ask, I already crapped on about lyrics. Uh, remember when I was all up myself for figuring out how many songs there are called Gloria? Guess how many songs are called Reckless? Oh, um, there's, is there is there a Brian Adams song called Reckless? There is indeed. Oh, it's good. You know me. <laughs> and my love for Brian Adams. There's also Adams. a Crystal Castle song and, and an Anastasia song. Is well. there? Yep. Good. Fantastic. Well, okay. I stopped counting at 62. Okay. Yes, it turns out <laughs> rappers, for one thing, love being called reckless. And if you include, like, that's just the word reckless. If you include reckless love, reckless and wild, or young and reckless, you'd be well up to 200, I reckon. Just yep. people, you know. Some of those might be covers, but still, apparently this is a very that's fucking a popular name for a that song. That is a lot, definitely. Well, there you go. Um, very popular name for a song, but what it, that's, that would have to be one of the best songs titled Rec. I've not listened to all 62, but um, maybe maybe that'll be a future podcast. <laughs> we listen to every song called Reckless and, and then all rank them from one through to 62. 
Um, so up next, we're into December now, 5th of December on the home stretch. Mm. Billy Joel, Uptown Girl. Uptown Girl. She's Downtown been living man. in a white bread world. <laughs> Just a whole world made of soft white bread. Yeah, now, um, this song, Tom, is partially inspired by Elle McPherson, who was his girlfriend at the time. Ah, so he was dating he was dating Elle McPherson, who's an Australian supermodel. She is probably indeed. one of the probably the first Australian supermodel, very she famous. In, yeah, in the first wave of eighties supermodels with your Cindy Crawfords and your Gia and your various other ones from that era. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um so dated Elle McPherson then after that, he married um, Christy Brinkley, who's another supermodel. Yes, so was in uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, many underwear ads, absolutely. wet dreams of a lot of teenagers <laughs> in the 80s. Yeah, so he's banged at least two supermodels. Um, not what, bad for a guy who looks like a scuzzy not, uncle. <laughs> exactly. He, he's not the finest looking gentleman. So do chicks love pianos that much? Because well, he is the piano man. What is it about pianos? Judging that... by the response you get if you play piano man in a room full of drunk ladies of a certain age, yeah. I would say yes. Apparently they do. I would not have suspected that, but you know, you yeah. make a good point there. For may sure. I, may I also point out that, firstly, Elle McPherson's. So he supposedly wrote the song about Elle McPherson. Firstly, she's Australian. I'm not sure how that's fucking uptown. And may I point out that Elle was born in 1964, so she would have been 19 yep. here, probably 18 when they hooked up, meaning that the girl part is more accurate than the uptown part, <laughs> and he was 34 back yep. then already, so That's how he's he 71 now, but yeah, clearly. Absolutely. Um, look, it's... yeah. I didn't realize. I probably would have learned to play the piano if I realized <laughs> that it was a surefire way to attract supermodels. Yeah, um, at the age of nineteen, if someone had told me that you know Bill McPherson would be keen on you if you can write this write nonsense. a piano number, then go for it. Um, this was covered by Westlife. Not heard it. I assume it was fucking awful. Um, can't say much more about that. Fair assumption, I'd say. Um, but an interesting thing is that um, I, I saw a Billy Joel uh, tour T-shirt, not from this tour. Not from the eighty, not from eighty three, but a little bit later. Um, so Billy Joel, um, Billy Joel picture on the front of the t shirt. Yep. On the back, it said the Stormfront tour. <laughs> now, was it a wise move naming your tour after a white power group? Well, I mean, normally I would say no, uh, but if you were a man desperately in need of an edge like Billy Joel, perhaps that might just push you over the line. You know, that's true. That's true. Um, you know, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think uh, Stormfront the- um, probably maybe. Maybe in 83, they were not well known. Maybe there weren't so many bad connotations. I think if you got around the Stormfront t-shirt these days... Yeah, um, even if it had Billy Joel on the front. You'd, you'd be cancelled, I you, think. Or so. people might assume that Billy Joel was some sort of uh, new 4chan meme that was secretly <laughs> announcing the fact that you thought QAnon was rad and that you know, yeah, we should get more Nazis into politics. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, In fact, I'm promoting that. Let's make Billy Joel the next Pepe the Frog. Oh, for sure. I'd say he deserves it. He'll get his career. Inflicting Uptown Girl on the world. Yeah, definitely. Is he currently married to another supermodel? He probably is. Probably he is. He's done pretty well for himself, I have to say. I have to say, my personal favourite use of this song yeah. is in The Simpsons 
when the one where Homer becomes a hippie yeah. and he <laughs> that, insists yeah. that the other hippies who have now just got a legitimate business and just are like normal guys with ponytails go into town and try to freak out the squares. <laughs> his pick of the ultimate song to freak out the squares is Uptown Girl. That was perfect. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't think if... I mean, even if this were in Flashdance, I think that would be a better use of the song. Definitely. What, uh, you got some lyrical highlights uh, for me? Yes. Okay. All right. This is the last verse is, you know, I can't afford to buy her pearls, but maybe someday when my ship comes in, she'll understand what kind of guy I've been and then I'll win. Like, this is shit is why nobody likes fucking Billy Joel. Like, firstly, win what exactly? But secondly, it's just so fucking lazy. Like, from the first verse, in fact, from the title, we've established the basic idea. Like, she's posh, you're not. Mm. That's the that's the whole song. She's an uptown girl, you're, and I'm uh, not. Yes. Then the rest of the lyrics are just filler to trudge along reiterating that idea and just not adding anything. Like, there's no new ideas introduced outside of the title and just this kind of stomp rhyme safe from the knowledge that everyone gets the idea but like maybe someday midway when my ship comes in she'll understand what kind of guy i've been and then i'll win like what does that mean like we know what he's saying like we know this vague idea like i'll get rich and i'll give her money but like grammatically and logically that whole thing just makes no sense at all and, and why does he want the uptown girl who thinks this guy is a piece of shit, but then once he gets rich, he's like, oh, I want this guy because he's got heaps of money now. Yes. Like, that like, doesn't seem to be a person that I would want to spend any time with. It's just a vague idea with some crappy lyrics kind of loosely scooped on top of it yeah. into a song. Like, you know, arguing about the musical value of it or not, I don't know, but the lyrics express a clear contempt for the audience. You couldn't be asked editing it into something better, and I think that's why people don't like Billy Joel much. Look, it does show a contempt for the audience. I, I think this song sucks. Um, not going to listen to this anymore. Not a big fan. Can't really say that there's anything from um, Billy Joel's catalogue that really gets me going. Maybe if I was a supermodel, I'd be, you know, stoked on it more, but I'm not. I think, like, because I'm a kind of lyrics dork, like... I have had the most enjoyment I've got out of Billy Joel over the years is pulling apart his dumbass lyrics, like the lyrics for Piano Man, which I'll give him Piano Man. is definitely more interesting. Like he is actually trying to paint a picture mm. back then. That's prior to this song, I think. Like I think that's one of his earlier ones. Yep. But even then, even trying to be more sort of interesting and visual in his lyrics, it's still just creates all these weird pictures and strange turns of phrases and stuff but I must admit they are fun to pick apart like debating drunkenly debating the audience of drunkenly debating the merits of using a lyric an old man making love to his tonic and gin like whether or not that creates the mental picture of an old guy on the bar with his dick in a glass of gin and oh, it does tonic to me. It does, like, that's all I picture you know, so because yeah. if it doesn't create that image what image does it create in your head you know perhaps yeah. I've just got a dirty mind but like yeah that's the most pleasure I've got out of Billy Joel is picking apart his weird lyrics but sure at least when they're weird they're interesting than this nonsense but yeah absolutely yeah. sorry that's but enough no, about look, <laughs> that was only number one for one week I think people bought it got it home went oh <laughs> fuck this is awful and then tell their friends not to buy it anymore and the next week it was off the charts because we had Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, uh, Islands in the Stream. Crikey. Um, do you prefer this or Ghetto Superstar from the Bullworth soundtrack? Sure, I was going to mention that too. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's fine. Like, that's fine. I thought you would have that. 
Um, I prefer to think of it as the song from the film where Warren Beatty asked the world, isn't what the world needs now a rap and George Bush? And what if he also got to have sex with Halle Berry because I'm Warren Beatty and surely she'd be into that? Yeah, I mean, on that level, like, yeah, it, it, I, I think I prefer the original, I've got to say. like, Yep. Yeah. I mean, please, what about you? Which one would you prefer? Oh, look, I'm a big fan of of, um, Prass from the Fugees and Maya, so I'm going to have to go with Ghetto Superstar. Um, Even with the Warren Beatty video. Even with Warren Beatty. um, Yeah, look, I don't think I've seen Bullworth, but... um, Oh, you're missing out. Rapping George Bush, what part of that (laughs) did you miss here? (laughs) Oh, well, I'm watching it as soon as we finish doing this because it does sound amazing. Um, so yeah, look, I think, uh, yeah, the original is obviously the better song, um, when I think about it, but, um, Get hey. a Superstar is something I seem to remember being played extremely frequently. Oh my Lord, yes, no, that was <laughs> When massive. that came out. Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck is I, this? And I must say, I did not know that was a cover until, like, until I heard it this. just sort of uses later. the melody, doesn't it? Like, it's yeah. sort of, like, instead of like, islands in the stream, it's just it's like, that ghetto superstar. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, like, maybe that lends credence to your cover theory about how... Cover's know. always better, yeah. So, ghetto <laughs> superstar is definitely better than this. Um, during my Wikipedia research, Tom, I did find out that there is, um, there's a joke associated with this song. Okay, um, sure. What's that? <laughs> what do you call Dolly Parton lying down in a bath? Um, is it islands in the stream? Yeah. You see, the, the comedy <laughs> is derived from the fact that she has large cans, apparently, Tom. So Just hang on. What? Dolly so Parton? Dolly, has... yep. So that when she's lying back oh, in the bath... I can't say the, I've the, ever noticed. Her but... boobs are like islands oh, in the stream. Okay. So I read that on the internet and just went, that's, that, it gives me no pleasure to read that out, Tom, but I find that when you do research for a podcast such as this, you, you want to give the audience the full, sure. you, don't, you don't want to leave things out just because personally you don't agree with them, you want to paint the whole picture, I don't want this to be a one-sided sort of affair where people say, oh, well, they left out these facts, they only talked about things that suited their agenda, so... You know, that, that's not a joke that I want to tell anyone, but I figured that, that I should mention it. Um, so there you are. You can you, you can tell your friends if you want. Not you, but All right. anyone can. I'll pass, I'll pass along the yep. idea. I don't think any of them have heard about her boobs, but, you know, no, maybe... they might. They might. Who knows? Yep, maybe they'll get on Wikipedia. Yeah, so this was written by the Bee Gees. Really? So, yep. I did not know that. Bee Gees wrote this. Um, apparently, um, the rumour is that by the 80s, disco would, it sort of died a lot. Yes. So the people, B, the BGs were like, you know, our Saturday Night Fever, you know, our forever stream of revenue that they thought disco would never end has <laughs> sort of dried up. So they started trying to write songs in, in different styles, yes. I think. So they wrote this one. Well, um, they succeeded with this one. Absolutely. Sure. absolutely. And it's not even vaguely disco. Like, yeah, for yeah. credit where it's due, like, it doesn't, you would not know this was the Bee Gees no. unless someone told you or whatever. Exactly. So they wrote this song and then thought it doesn't really fit in with what we want to perform. So, yeah, these guys performed it and, um, yeah, uh, big hit. Was this, I don't know, was this in a film? No. 
<laughs> probably was. I it bet really... you it was. I bet yeah. you it was. And obviously the cover of it was in rapping George Bush. Yeah. Warren Beatty's finest film. Absolutely. And of course, um, Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton teamed up again later on for a Christmas album. So... Uh, um, yes. Not heard it. I assume it's very good though. Do you reckon they were shaggy? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> Absolutely right. It's also, I'm noticing here that she's outsold him there. Like oh, in terms the, of listens, yeah, he Kenny Rogers has got five point five mil yeah, on the work, Spotify, Dolly. and she's got eleven point six. She's doubled his his monthly listeners. <laughs> That's so people, people, She's got a lot of hits, though. I think Dolly Parton's got a lot of hits. Oh yeah, yeah. But he's got a lot. Kenny Rogers has got a lot of hits as well. So well, she was a crossover, you know. Yeah. She whereas Kenny Rogers, I think, kind of stayed mostly country. Yeah. Um. And it seems like a thousand years ago, but um. Yeah. Kenny Rogers died in March this year. So, wow! Yeah. I I did not know he died. Yeah, there you go. Be, well, there's been a lot happening in 2020. So I think most people have been distracted <laughs> by Australia basically sure. burning completely oh, down and, and bushfires. On that subject, and then the coronavirus. Let's point out. I mean, probably people already know this, but Dolly Parton uh, donated a massive amount of money to the successful um, COVID vaccine operation, the Pfizer. Really? She was an individual donor to that. Yes. Fantastic. Like, yeah, just to go full circle in the year. Absolutely. So that's good. Um, and look, Kenny Rogers will obviously be, you know, well known for his music. Um, sure. But in my eyes, uh, I'll <laughs> always know him for the Kenny Rogers chicken roasters um, <laughs> chain, sure. which he started with a former KFC CEO, teamed oh. up with Kenny Rogers, and they opened up a, a chicken chicken franchise. Um, that unfortunately is shut down in the US, but it is still going strong in Southeast Asia. Wow. So next time you're in the Philippines, um, or uh, I'm not sure all the countries that it's in, I'm going to say next time you're in the Philippines or Thailand, um, try and track one down, go in there, enjoy some Kenny Rogers chicken. Sure, um, nothing's a chicken on. like a dead country in Western Absolutely, Singapore. absolutely right. Got uh, some lyrics there for me? Sure, yeah, there's a few here. Oh, it's, it's um, a, lyrically, it's, it's, really, it's fantastic. Uh, baby, first lyrics of the song, Baby, when I met you, there was peace unknown. I set out to get you with a fine-tooth comb. I just like the idea of trying to mack onto someone using just a comb. Uh, I'm not even sure how. I'm not sure whether it's present, whether you show, check out this fucking rad comb I've got, or whether you just use it a lot in your massive silvery mane before you go try and hook up with Dolly Parton. The chorus is, um, uh, yeah, islands in the stream, that is what we are, no one in between, how can we be wrong, sail away with me to another world. Now, look, I'm not trying to shit on this song because it's catchy and warm, like a shag pile rug at a swingers party, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good example even though this is 83 this is just a particular example of like this kind of weird 70s songwriting style yeah. where it's just just like all over the place like just throwing metaphors at the wall like I mean if I wanted to be dick for instance I might say like do streams have islands in them like two like who would be in between two of the islands like what would the person be trying to do if they were like trying to stop the islands touching each other. Like, are the islands sentient? How can an island be wrong? How does an island sail anywhere? They're usually fairly stationary or, you know, travel into space even. Like, but, you know, yeah. hey, look, it's a catchy song. I'm not I'm not dick, dicking on it. 
Absolutely. And look, streams are, are generally as a body of water, um, very shallow and not very large. So an yes. island in the stream is, is essentially a rock. Yes, really. I would call so, it a stepping stone. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> Again, stepping stones also not traditionally known for moving around, trying to hook up with each other, yeah, sail I, away or move into space, you know. <laughs> islands in a canal um, would it, or islands in a strait, like Bass Strait. It could have been like Fender's Island and King or Island or sea. something. That also, yeah. Has, I just, I just I think suppose streams more evocative. But it is. Yeah. Oh, it's, it certainly paints a picture, but um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know whether it paints the right picture. So I don't know. Oh, it certainly paints a picture. It's just yeah. in terms of metaphors, it's painting seven pictures at once, and they're all kind of blurring into each other a bit. But you know, it's the seventies. Absolutely. Know, or rather, the eighties. So you can get this on Discogs for forty nine cents. Um, oh, okay. Which I think is. Uh, that's fine. May um, I just ask, just out of curiosity, what's the what's a copy of Uptown Girl getting to? Ooh, did I? I forgot to mention Uptown Girl. Did I apologise? Um, Forty five cents. Okay, yeah. So look, cheaper think, than this, and deservedly so. Yeah, it's definitely look, a better song. I if reckon. anyone out there is looking for that gift, look, I can't stress this enough. Spend the extra four cents. <laughs> And go for if, oh, you, if you're tossing up, worth of value you're tossing up between Island in the Stream and Uptown Girl. I can say that that Islands in the Stream is definitely worth four cents more than Uptown Girl. <laughs> sure, yes, and it's got better lyrics Easily. too, even if they're a bit weird. Yep. All right, so the last we're up to the 19th of December. This is the last number one song of 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, Lionel Richie, All Night Long, bracket All Night <laughs> End bracket. Yeah, he was very imaginative. This is a good one. Um, do you think the dude from Good Charlotte's tried to bone Nicole Richie to this and then just went, oh, fuck, it's your dad? Well, I tell you what, if I was Nicole Richie, I would prefer to get banged to a song sung by my dad than anything ever written by Good Charlotte. That's, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. <laughs> On the other hand, they must have had some appeal because one of them was going out with Sophie Monk as well, so who? Oh. Maybe they've... You know, the Madden brothers have maybe they're attracted by the brass knuckles hanging from their neck and their chain. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't really know, but well, people still rocking a lip ring in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> you know, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, look, uh, wouldn't put me past the Madden brothers to try and pull some shit like that. But look, it's it's all good. I'm sure uh, Nicole's. <laughs> I mean, fine it's a good it. question. Don't get me wrong. It's a super valid question. I mean, it's, it I, needs I don't to know. be asked. I mean, what, what happens? You hook up with someone, you know, things get intimate and then they put some music on and you, you have to put your hand up and go, I'm sorry, but oh, th- my dad's singing this song. Sure. It's a bit, you don't want to be finger slayed to a song that your dad's written. <laughs> I mean, fucking hell. I'd hope know. that you wouldn't. No, yes. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And Nicole Richie, she has that. That's a problem I'll never have to have. It's a problem <laughs> no. you'll never have to have. No, it's, it's a true. problem that she has. It's true. Um, it's, I and, can't argue. And some other, you know, some other people as well have that problem, no doubt. Um, <laughs> Paris Jackson has that problem. Um, I gather, although, yeah, I don't think you'd want to be listening to her father's songs while getting fingered. I don't know. <laughs> Not sure. So the brilliance of this song, Tom. Is that, um, look, I don't. I don't. Look, we we live in a a culture where we're very fast to to cancel people, you know. And sure. and some look. I think that cancel culture. If somebody is a, a shitty dude and they've committed some crimes, then they need to be called out and they need to be dealt with, you know, by the law. But I also find that. You know, if someone posted something on Twitter in 
2006. It's a little bit controversial. You know, should yeah. we look at that through a 2020 lens and say, oh, they've, they've used a word that's probably not really acceptable now. So sure. they're cancelled forever. I don't know. We're, we're, we're very quick to judge. We're yes. very quick to cancel people. Yeah. But I'm cancelling Lionel Richie <laughs> right now. I'm cancelling him. He's cancelled. Sell your Lionel Richie singles on Discogs. You can get 34 and cents for this one. Why, Do it. why am I doing this? Oh, Tom, from, look. You know. Listen, this song features some, quote, African lyrics. I okay? see. So the lyrics to this song, are you know, they're primarily in English. But Richie has ad admitted in at least one interview that the African lyrics in this song, such as, uh, he goes, Tomboli se dormioya and jumbo jumbo. Oh, so yeah, he's that's got that some, weird some, sort of breakdown. Yeah, there's a break, you know, yeah. bridge or whatever. There's, correct. There's a bridge in this um, with with some, some lyrics in there, um, some African lyrics. And Lionel Richie has admitted that, well, Lionel Richie's admitted that they were made up gibberish <laughs> of his own inventions. <laughs> Now, Tom, <laughs> he's described these portions of the song as a wonderful joke written when he discovered that he lacked the time to hire a translator to contribute the foreign language lyrics he wished to include in the song. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. Which now, would Tom, also suggest that Lionel Richie, the African-American, didn't actually know any Africans or anyone who spoke any African sounds dialect like he of any kind. Sounds like he sure, doesn't. you know, you know. Now, Tom, you know I'm an aspiring rapper. Yes. You know that my rap name is Shitbull. You know that, which is... I didn't, but now fun. I do. It's, I'm, I'm toying with shit. It's either Shitbull or, or John Bone Jovi. I'm not sure which one yet, but I think I'm going to... So, look, I'm trying to rap. I'm trying to break into the Asian market, China sure. particularly. They've got 1.3 billion people. If I can capture even 1% of their audience, mm -hmm. I can, you know, just live off that money. I can quit my job um, and yeah just live off that but if I was to do a rap song and say to get into the Chinese market I'm going to need a Chinese verse in this song yep. I'm going to and sorry I know Chinese isn't a language I'm going to need a Mandarin or Cantonese verse yep. in there I'm going to sing that I'm going to put it on Spotify people in China are going to listen to that say this guy <laughs> I'm, for, I'm loving this shitbull guy loving these lyrics this is fantastic I'm touring China. I'm making money. Sure. But I'm too lazy, Tom, so to, to what's, hire an So what's your time limit? How long have you got to get these lyrics down in your laptop? Oh, I've, I've, got, I've, got, I've got weeks to you've do got it. Weeks. But, so you've but, got uh, three weeks before you need these lyrics, but you can't spare any time in that time. I can't. To... I'm like Lionel Richie in 83. <laughs> I'm too busy. I don't have time. <laughs> So when it comes time to record, I just jump into the recording box and just go ching chong 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 ching chong chong ching sure. chong chong chong. And that'll. I think know. people <laughs> would find that offensive. You find that offensive, and you're not Asian. I find that offensive um, just by saying. I think everyone would find that offensive. Chinese people would find Chinese people find a lot of things offensive. Sure. The Chinese government, particularly, they find everything offensive. Um, you know what I mean? Like they, they do don't like rights, anybody. You know. Saying, wait a wage. minute, yes, <laughs> hey, are you putting people in internment camps? What is it to you? We're not going to buy your lobsters anymore. So I can understand that they would be offended by me saying that. Yes. Yet Lionel Richie, he gets a pass? Why does he get a pass for just going jumbo, 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 jumbo? He shouldn't. Cancel this motherfucker, he's done. Okay? 
Yeah, no, I definitely don't think making up a bunch of stuff that sounds like some shit off the gods must be crazy would pass for a virus <laughs> no. anymore. And oh. neither do I think that, you know, you should immediately rush out and get your, yeah, but your look, Cantonese rap <laughs> The only thing I will say about Lionel is that I feel that he may not have got the budget that he deserved. He didn't have enough time, and by that I assume money as well, <laughs> to hire someone to come up with the African shorts. Sure. If you watch the video clip to this, um, it looks like that the set is constructed out of cardboard boxes. They've just glued together wow. some cardboard boxes okay. and sprayed them. <laughs> and then people are dancing to the song okay. in there, um, including the Africans that are doing their jumbo jumbo thing, which is pretty would, fake. Just off the top of my head, would Lionel Richie be wearing uh, a comfy outfit that could only be described as sports casual, with perhaps V-neck knitwear, perhaps... A jumper tied around his waist over a jumper and another jumper tied around his neck. Look, that's his usual attire, Tom. In this one, he's thrown everyone for a loop. He's wearing really tight pleather pants and oh. a red top. Wow. Um, it looks fantastic. Wow. It's, it's, he's looking really... Actually, they're probably... Well, that might be the least dad outfit yeah. I've ever seen him wearing. I thought that'd be leather, but knowing the budget restraints <laughs> that he had with the set and not being able to get anyone to come up with the right lyrics, I think they're probably pleather. Um, there is I'm a part. I have to check that out. I don't oh, think I've ever seen him out of quality knitwear. No, no, a really good song. Um, in terms of, uh, sorry, really good video clip. In terms <laughs> of how sketchy it is, there's a part where there's a cop with a baton who looks like he's going to beat some people, but then he just gets into the groove and starts uh, dancing. Yes. So that's that's pretty good. That was the '80s. Cops were still getting into the groove. Absolutely right. <laughs> Absolutely. Beating people up. <laughs> um, what else have you got? Anything? Oh. This was the song which was also featured in The Wedding Singer. Really? Yes. I thought that was a bit weird because The Wedding Singer is set in 1985. Yep. Which means that the songs would, both these songs would be two years old by that point. So mm. in the logic of The Wedding Singer, which admittedly is pretty thin, these would both be songs would be well out of the charts by the time these people were yep. listening to them in song. But hey... Looking back from 10 years or 20 years or 30 years ahead, you can increasingly see that the 80s has now just turned into one giant year in which every <laughs> single thing in the 80s and about half of the 90s happened. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. Also, um, less cool, this song was covered in 2011 by both Demi Lovato and Guy Sebastian. Yeah. So I don't think even Lionel Richie deserved that. Uh, yeah, even after his possibly cancelable making did you up listen African to both mumbo of those? jumbo, I did not. Two, one which would be the better of two those guys. Two. I mean, you'd have to think it'd be a toss up. <laughs> to Guy Sebastian's credit, I think the money for that went to some bushfires. I think it was like a charity record, and I think he might That's have good. even had Lionel Richie's involvement. And well, I mean, let's face it, Lionel Richie was a big old cheese ball even at the time. But absolutely, you know, like, yeah. Uh, lyrically. There's not much to say because, sorry to say, but generally speaking, Lionel Richie's lyrics are the lyrical equivalent of quality knitwear, which is to say <laughs> beige, v-neck. Uh, yeah, there's one 
well, my friends, the time has come to raise the roof and have some fun, throw away the work to be done. I was just going to say, don't throw the work away. Just put it in the laptop, save it, put the laptop out of party range so no one looks up dwarf porn to try and make you look bad. True. But yeah, you know, that's really all I could say about that one. Well, it the lyrical highlights effectively is made up African. Yes, I, I left that to you because I thought you might possibly bring up the fact that he was going to get an African guy to do it then went, eh, Carl, just make some shit up. I'll just make it up. Exactly. Um, 34 cents on Discogs. Lionel Richie's got 8.4 million monthly listeners oh. on Spotify, so people loving it. But he also, but he's got a lot of hits. This he does, know, yeah, no, he was dancing big. on the ceiling. People love yeah. the shit out of that. So. Uh, love conquers all. Oh, had, uh, yeah. oh, what was the other one? Uh, sorry, I'm sure it'll pop up again. Hello, yes, hello is me you're looking for. So yeah. Um, so there you go. That brings us to the end of 1983. Just, um, I thought uh, a good way to conclude this is to have a look at some of the other songs. Sure, um, I had a note or two about that. Didn't hit number one, um, probably because fucking Ostentatious was there for eight <laughs> weeks, so it didn't give anyone else a chance. Did but, you have any stuff about this? Um, yeah, so um, Twistin' by the Pool by Dice Oh, Strings. yeah, sure. Um, Let's Dance by David oh, Bowie. I mean, that's, I mean, how is that? that's better than almost out any out. of the songs that are on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got a great video clip as well, Jeez, filled in, in rural Australia. Decent so, songs. This 1999 year. by Prince. I mean, this is Prince, one of Prince's most well-known songs. Yeah. Um, it's, a you know, obviously at the turn of the millennium, it got a lot more action, but people love that song. Yeah. Couldn't make it to number one because no. of all the fucking dog shit that people <laughs> bought instead. Beat It by Michael Jackson. Oh, man. It's another good one. And yeah. I, I, we know we can enjoy that because that is um, pre-pedophile. Um, <laughs> Every Breath You Take by The Police. Yep. Um, Maniac by Michael Cimbello I've talked about that already Uh, Rain by Dragon Um, Red Red Wine by UB40 who (laughs) sucks shit but um, we'll talk about him (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah a lot of stuff I'm Still Standing by Elton John Africa by Toto yeah I know You Can't Hurry Love by Phil Collins and Africa so and the safety dance so a lot of hits there <laughs> I um, was going to bring up uh, one of the lesser known hits uh, oh yeah which was by an Australasian artist there were a couple of others Tim Finn Men at Work yep uh, there was also a little song called Shoop Shoop Diddy Wop Kama Kama Wang Dang <laughs> by Monty Video and the Cassettes uh, who were a <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, if you can be bothered, look up the video for this because it's pretty good quality. Nice. Um, it's They were a New Zealand band, uh, although the singer seems to be trying to do some weird half-cockney voice. He also can't sing. He's sort of rapping, but not really. He looks like the regional manager of a post office who got recently divorced and he's trying to tune chicks in a nightclub while chain-smoking <laughs> the whole video. Like, he's never not smoking. The cover of the video has him with a cigarette in his hand, so clearly, you know, the work at the post office was stressing him out. But the cassettes can see him out of his backup dancers who he appears to be trying to hook up with. They had exactly one hit, although the follow-up single, Sheba Shasha Shishu, proved that Monty clearly had a thing about mouth noises that sound vaguely sexual and would most likely now be found in a garage somewhere in the suburbs of Auckland browsing <laughs> ASMR videos and presumably smoking <laughs> like a fucking fiend because that's what he was into. But yeah, I trust me to look that video up if you can be bothered because it is pretty funny. I mean, how like, do you... I mean, if you're going to have a follow-up single to Shoop Shoop Diddy Wop Come and Come and Wang Dang, <laughs> it has to be called Sheba Sha Sha Shishu. It, That's it, the only... The lyrics are, as 
if you think that sounds vaguely sus, the song title, that is entirely deliberate. Like the whole thing is just one kind of long <laughs> sort of a carry-on style innuendo. But it is catchy, apart from his total inability to sing. And if you want to know what a thrashing nightclub looked like in 1993 Christchurch, then that video <laughs> will show you. <laughs> because, yeah, it's, it's a cack. Awesome. Well, that's it. That's 83. That's 83. Done, done and dusted. Done. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say now. That's it. Uh, no. Next week, 84. Yes. <laughs> Tune in. Listen to that. Sure. We'll probably set up an Instagram account or something. Sure. Some shit. Hopefully we can do some... Uh, we can really, you know, be a bit less politically correct next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Absolutely. All right. Um, all right, off I go to queue up Shoop Shoop Diddy Wop Kama Kama Wang Gang again. <laughs>